This is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hello there, my name is Chris. My name is Jason. And this is The Talking Dead, number 357, recorded on Tuesday, January the 2nd, 2018. Happy New Year? Is that? I was going to say happy birthday, but that's not right at all. Definitely happy New Year, and let's listen to this. Hey, Chris and Jason, this is Designer Will from Brooklyn. Happy New Year. Hope you guys had a healthy and enjoyable uh, holiday break with your families. Hopefully you guys have had some time to recharge on the podcast. I just wanted to say thanks for all the work you've done over the years. Uh, just like pretty much every other winter break, when things get quiet and I'm behind the computer doing my work, I find myself turning to some of your very first episodes covering the season one and all that good stuff and um, just makes me realize how much work you guys have put into it and how much time has gone by and thanks for the podcast and I'm wondering if there's going to be any Walking Dead news or anything in between seasons. Um, that we could expect maybe some after hours type stuff or maybe reviews of anything else you guys have seen. I know you guys were talking about doing Star Wars or something like that. Anyway, love the show. Hope you guys are doing well. Just wanted to wish you a happy new year and say thanks for all the work you've done. Bye-bye. So thank you very much, uh, designer Will in Brooklyn. That is very nice of you. And I want to extend that out to everybody who listens and uh, who doesn't listen happy new year hope 2018 has been good to you so far and continues to be good to you as it progresses yeah and i think uh, i think as all his ideas are fantastic and we should cover a lot of those tonight <laughs> should we maybe some yeah. uh, some news and star wars potentially yeah exactly <laughs> all right well we are going to talk about star wars episode 8 the last jedi tonight and uh, not really do walking dead news but we're going to do a bunch more feedback from listeners about mostly about the mid-season finale so we are here to do that it's taken us a little longer to get around to doing this podcast but the the holidays kind of got away from me a little bit and uh but we did have i did have a nice time and i hope you did too i did i had a fantastic time it's good uh, it's good to be back at work now i can relax a little bit it was a very hectic uh, Christmas uh, holiday break, and sure. uh, it's nice to be able to sit in one place for longer than five, ten minutes at a time. Okay. Well, you had some family in town. I had some family in town. Yeah. I, I thought it was really nice that we had a white, snowy Christmas this year. Oh, very snowy, yeah. First time in in a long time I can remember a Christmas with this much snow, and I, I sort of like it. I have this romantic vision of myself sitting in the dark by the light of my Christmas tree while snow is gently falling outside and I'm uh, drinking a scotch and just enjoying myself. And I actually got to do that this year. I just, I knew somewhere in there your fantasy would include alcohol. Well, you know me, <laughs> you know me. Yeah. So no, no, it's nice to be able to fulfill uh, that fantasy of yours. It was. It's not really a fantasy. It's just sort of this sort of romanticized vision of sitting by the Christmas tree with a fire going, which I don't have, yeah. but, uh. No, you blocked up your chimney, so you, uh, you can't have a fire going. No, but I could, fire. I could put the Netflix fire on my TV. So that That's works. true. And we did that. Did you? We did. Good for you. Good for you. It's a 4K Netflix fire if you have a 4K uh, TV. I do not have a 4K TV. Neither do I. 
Anyways. Uh, yeah, holiday was good. Everything was good. Family's good. Jasper's learning how to run and say all kinds of words. So I spent a lot of time chasing and talking uh, to and him. That's <laughs> that's what you do, man. That's, you know, successful children learn to run and, and uh, say words and you have to chase them and talk at them. So yeah, his, uh, his favorite word right now is snowflake. Okay. But it, uh, it actually comes out as no shit. <laughs> so, uh, that's funny. <laughs> Jasper, what's that? No shit. Can you say snowflake? No shit. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, we, it's hard not to giggle. Of course. And repeat it. But the uh, first thing I did when I dropped him off at daycare today was get him to say snowflake and tell them that when he says that he's saying snowflake and I didn't teach him swear words over the holiday break. At least not that one. Not that one. Yeah. All right. Well, that's funny. Kids always have funny pronunciations of stuff, but it, uh, it's exciting to hear. He's, he's progressing nicely. It sounds like. Yeah. No, it's, it's, uh, it's good. He's talking quite a bit. He's going to rival his mom pretty soon. Wow. That's saying something. <laughs> <laughs> it is. All right. Well, that's good to hear. It's great to know that everyone had a good, uh, break. At least everyone on this podcast had a good break. And like I said, I hope that everybody out there had some time off and just was able to spend it with friends, family, or do whatever you do over the holiday season. So, so we are going to do listener feedback. We're also going to talk about Star Wars. Uh, but first I just wanted to mention one thing, uh, a while back, our RSS feed for the podcast hit a maximum size. And so I had to start trimming older episodes out of it. Now, that's not to mean that they're gone forever. They just weren't accessible in the feed. So if you were subscribed via iTunes or directly with the feed, you wouldn't be able to go back and uh, download the oldest episodes. And like designer Will said in that call, he, he's, he goes back and does that sometimes. And I hear from people all the time who do that. Anyways, exciting news. I changed things around so that everything all the way back to number one is back in the feed. Oh, good. So you cut out some of the middle stuff or how did you get it to go underneath the, uh, the, the size cap? I, I changed it so that only a more, uh, brief, more brief, uh, summary with each episode is included in the feed. So you don't get all the full oh. text. Now that's okay because with every episode, I always include a common universal kind of byline at the bottom, which is send us feedback, use our Patreon, blah, 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 stuff like that. And I don't feel like that necessarily needs to be included in the feed anymore. So I yeah. took that out and- It's 2018. Reading is so 1997. Exactly. Exactly. You don't need to do that anymore. So it's all gone and it brings the feed down under the limit significantly, which is good. So we should be able to go for a while now until we hit the maximum again. Now, if you look in iTunes, iTunes does actually have a limit of 300 episodes in, uh, like in the list. But if you're subscribed to it, you can go back to the beginning. So make sure you oh, subscribe. Uh, if you have any trouble, you can always go to the website in any case and find all of our episodes on talkingdeadpodcast.com back to number one. And they're categorized so much better now since the new site right. went up. So uh, they're easier to find. But good news is everything's all back in the feed. And if you subscribe, you can go right back to number one. Good. And they're not so word wordy in the doobly-doo. They're not as wordy anymore. That's that's basically yeah. it. Yeah. So um, good work. hopefully that doesn't upset anyone. Anyways, Jason, let's uh, jump right in to our 2018 review of Star Wars Episode Eight: The Last Jedi. You want to do that first? You don't want to. You don't want to start with the uh, listener feedback. No, let's do the Star Wars first. 
All right. It's to be honest, Star Wars, it's coming a little later than I wanted it to. The movie's been out for like three weeks now. And, and we're going to spoil the shit out of it. Is that right? hundred percent. At this point, we are not even going to start without spoiling it. I think we'll just talk spoilers from the beginning. Uh, obviously, if you haven't seen it and you don't care about that, then listen. Um, can I spoil other Star Wars movies? Yes. Yes. I'm going to say you can spoil any Star Wars movie you want. So this is a 100% Star Wars movie spoiler episode. Okay. So the fact that Yoda dies is okay. I can say that. Yes. Okay, good. Vader, Vader is Luke's father. You can say that. Oh yeah, that was a, that's a big deal. It that's is. a big deal. You can't you can't just spoil that shit without putting a warning in front of it. Well, luckily I did, so Good. it's okay. Yeah. Uh, so Star Wars Episode Eight: The Last Jedi. I was trying to say it's been out for a couple of weeks already, and I apologize. This is later than we wanted. Uh, next time we'll try to record it sooner, but I didn't want to let it go. I still wanted to talk about the movie. Uh, we've, we've talked about every new Star Wars movie that's come out in the last few years on the podcast. So it is definitely, I, I definitely want to keep up that tradition yeah. or trend. And, and here we are now I've seen the movie twice. I've I seen it once. I saw it on opening night in Vancouver. As I mentioned last time, I think, uh, we were out in Vancouver. We landed, we got off the plane, dropped our bags off at our hotel and went straight to the movie theater and watched it. And then I saw it again when we got back with my kids. So I've seen it two times now. And as you said, you've seen it just the once. Just the once. So I want to start with you. I want to know, uh, let's let's go back in time for a second and just remind people what uh, what we thought of, of um, The Force Awakens, the one, the episode uh, seven from two years ago. Did you enjoy that one? I think you did. <sighs> I think I did. I'm I'm confused by Star Wars at the moment. So, um, and I'm hoping that you can help me out. Uh, I did like uh, The Force Awakens, except that it was basically a rehash of uh, the Death Star, right? Like it basically was just a bigger, badder Death Star that didn't even make as as much sense because they could, it would shoot these these laser beams uh, across the galaxy uh, that were slower than light. And I didn't quite understand that, but that's okay. So they blew up the Death Star again, uh, but they did it with a stormtrooper. So I overall, I did enjoy it. Uh, I do like the characters. I do like uh, the fact that it's still uh, mostly in the realm of uh, space opera. Mm-hmm. Like Star Wars, they don't explain anything, right? They don't explain how lightsabers work or how the Force works. The, forget the prequels. Right. Just, move on from there because um, we're just going to get down in a rat hole that uh, you and I will just, it'll just come to blows <laughs> if we start talking about the prequels. I, I don't I know. I did not like the prequels. You did not like the prequels. I just happened to think that Jar Jar is the, the uh, he, he's the mastermind. That's it. That's it. Yeah. We'll, we'll move on. Okay. Uh, so overall, I like it except, uh, yeah, so we're talking about The Force Awakens, right? Just, just br- briefly, I wanted to remind myself and everybody what, what you thought of that, and I'll I'll update everyone on my thoughts in a second. I did like The Force Awakens. Uh, it's just that, I guess, my opinion over the last year. Has it been only out a year? Two, two years. Two years, thank God. It feels like more than a year. Uh, has changed slightly. On The Force so Awakens? It, for, for the, on The Force Awakens for the worse. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. Have you watched it since you saw it in the theater? I have. I've watched it uh, recently because I wanted to prep myself for okay. uh, The Last Jedi. Interesting. Well, I loved The Force Awakens. I loved it when I saw it and I've, I've watched it probably four to six times 
in the two years since then. I saw it twice in the theater, watched it with the kids. We've been watching it at home. They really like it. And, and I, I still love it. I, I don't think my opinion of it has diminished at all. I completely, completely bought into the nostalgic factor of it. And I realize it's kind of the same movie as, as a new hope, but that worked for me. And I really, really like that about it. So, uh, I love that movie and I still do. So I was pretty excited going into The Last Jedi, which is episode eight. And I figured I was going in kind of knowing what I was going to get. Um, did, did you get that? But I did not get that. You not, did not get that. Did you get more or did you get less? Well, here's the thing. Uh, I came out after the first viewing being a l like enjoying it, but being a little disappointed because I felt like my expectations were not met. And that's my own fault, absolutely. But I also had my common issue of being a little overexcited for a film and not being able to pay attention to it properly, um, which which really affected my viewing of this this movie. You have to go see movies drunk. I think that's the only real recourse for you. Is if you're excited <laughs> about a movie, you need to, you know, do a couple of shots before you go. I'm not sure that's it. I'm not sure that would help. But I was thinking about this problem I have and smoke a joint. No, that's not my style at all. Uh, I, I was thinking about this problem I have, and for me, it is definitely an excitement problem. And just in case anyone is curious, I, I sort of get super excited about a, a movie, and then I go watch it, and I come out at the end just having, like, I'm too excited to pay attention to it properly. Right. And it's 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 not that I can't pay attention. It's almost that I try to pay attention too much. Like I, I try to take in everything. I try to like look at every inch of every frame and pay attention to the story, but pay attention to the the backgrounds and the the cinema cinematography and all these things. And I just end up getting overwhelmed because I'm so excited to like just see this film. It's too much for one viewing. It's too much for one viewing. That's right. I, I can't appreciate everything all at once. And I end up kind of not appreciating anything enough. And it happened, it, the first time it ever happened was with The Dark Knight. And you were there. Yeah. And and then, you know, it tends to happen. Um, well, it just tends to happen with movies I'm really super pumped about. Now, I don't think it really happened with The Force Awakens so much. And that could have been because that movie, as I said, was so similar to A New Hope that I could actually pay attention because I already knew the story. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. So this one with Last Jedi, I kind of had that problem the first time. And I came out of it after going, well, that wasn't Empire Strikes Back. And right. <laughs> and that's that's my my own problem. And I realized that I I felt like it was a little bit unusual it was very different than a star wars movie i'd ever seen before i felt like it was a bit confusing and there were things about it that just hit me as as weird some of the new like force powers we saw being used i'm like oh that that doesn't feel right that doesn't feel like the force i know and 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 some of some of that kind of stuff that really kind of messed me up and so I said to you, I liked it, but I want to go, I want to see it again to make sure I can like relax and sort of pay attention properly this time. So uh, on the second, second I've viewing, did you like it more? I liked it so much more on the second viewing. It okay. is 
it is unprecedented in my movie viewing like lifespan because I really, really liked The Last Jedi and it took two viewings and I tried to see it a third time in the last week. But again, with the holidays, I couldn't get around to it, but I liked it so much on the second time. It went from like this weird feeling I had of it maybe being one of the lesser Star Wars films to being one of my favorites. Okay, so I had two distinct problems with with this movie. Now, I liked it too. Like overall, I liked it. But the two problems I had were uh, really a chase in space. I mean, I understand why the uh, the rebels couldn't go to uh, hyperspace because uh, they didn't have enough fuel. But the First Order, why couldn't they? And just jump ahead of them like, you know, five seconds. Like just just jump a little bit. Like, why not? Well, I don't know that you... You can't just, I mean, yeah, I suppose, but I don't know if you can Call somebody and say, hey, I'm on this uh, trajectory right now. Can you jump like a a half a light second ahead of me here and uh, set up a blockade maybe? Yeah. It's a trap. You could yell, it's a trap. It's fun. They could definitely call someone to, I guess they could have called someone to jump jump into the situation in front of them, right? Yeah. But I don't think the the ships that were chasing uh, the escaping... Uh, rebel or resistance fleet yeah i don't think they could jump just closer to them i don't feel that you can go that short of a distance in hyperspace okay go a little bit farther then well i know but then i mean then you're then in front what? of them and you don't know where they are oh, well sure well you don't you jump call somebody hey i you know lifeline you know i'm calling a friend mm-hmm. you do me a favor jump ahead just just a little bit of where where i am i can tell you where we're going yeah uh would you mind but that'd be great. <laughs> it's so funny that you come up with shit like this because that kind of thing never occurred to me. I haven't heard. I've read some reviews. I've listened to podcasts. I have not heard anyone have that criticism. Like, really? yes, it's a chase in space, but and they couldn't catch up, even though they probably had more fuel. Why didn't they, they just, just call needed someone? to explain it? Uh, but <laughs> not even not even really, because uh, the other problem I had was uh, we. Uh, well, I actually, I guess I had three problems. The second problem I had is they could track them through hyperspace by some tracking device that they had. And I'm like, uh, Star Wars does not include Technobabble. And we had Technobabble in this episode of Star Wars. We had a little bit. I mean, Rose said this is new tech, right? She said this yeah. is new tech. It's never been done before. They can track us through hyperspace. So we can't jump out of here because if we do, they're going to follow us and that's it our last time chance okay that's the first time right because um, they didn't they've never explained how the death star works but now they explain that they had a uh, a scaled down version of the death star weapon yeah. to shoot through the door it's like okay well so that's 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 a very very minor nitpicky thing the second issue i had was the whole uh finn and rose head off to meet, meet uh, somebody in a casino mm-hmm. uh and they meet benicio del toro Yes. And he, he betrays them, which is fine because Lando did the same thing. Yep. Right? Yep. Uh, the problem I had was if they hadn't have gone, they would have been in a better position. Like, why go? But they wouldn't have they had the code breaker they needed. They didn't get the code breaker and it, they ended up getting fucking themselves over. I mean, uh, <laughs> friggin' Poe just got in trouble for doing this exact same shit and getting a whole bunch of people killed. And what does he do? He does the exact same thing, ends up getting a whole bunch more people killed because if Benicio Del Toro hadn't have shown up, more people would have got away. 
well, wait a minute. They they didn't get the code breaker, but they got a code breaker, and they needed the they needed him to get into the tracking room on the star destroyer. So they they needed him, and he did his he served his purpose, even though he he betrayed them in the end, right? Yeah. So I, well, I just I don't think they shouldn't have done that. I don't think they. I didn't understand why they did it. I don't think they'd be in a in a better position without him because they wouldn't have they wouldn't have. You know, they, ultimately, it didn't work out the way they they thought it would. That plan, but if right. they didn't try that and they didn't bring him back, there there would have been no, um, there would have been no ability for them to even attempt that plan to try to to get out of hyperspace. Now, obviously, they didn't do that. They ended up breaking off into smaller ships and then turning the big one around and firing it through the the uh, dreadnought. Is that what they call those? Yeah, the dreadnought. The dreadnought. Yeah, Laura Dern did that. That was. Uh... That was pretty cool. It was pretty cool. Um, I I had a her whole role in the thing. The first time I watched it was one of the things I I didn't like as much because I was sort of feeling here's this new character, don't know anything about her. Suddenly she's being a total dick to uh, to Poe, and um, uh, and and I just I didn't sort of see that, and I didn't feel like they earned her like heroic death when she shot the shot the transport through the star destroyer because we didn't know who she was now on second viewing it worked a lot better for me and you know i I don't know if that's the movie or if that's me because it's not like she was in it anymore the second time it was the same (laughs) character it's just i already knew her i but i i did get a better feeling for her motivations and stuff like that um two things i didn't love both times through though one is i agree with you about the casino planet uh, which the name of, I can't think of right now, but not, not the fact that they had to go there to find the code breaker and it ultimately proved kind of fruitless, but just the whole aesthetic of the place. I didn't like as much. It, it kind of felt a little, it felt like the cantina, you know, like, but on steroids, like way on steroids. I thought I liked it, that aspect of it because it was like the cantina, but it wasn't the seedy underbelly kind of style. It was the right. high-end casino royale kind of style. Yeah, and you're right. That's not too bad. It just it to me it just felt a little un-Star Warsy. And and again, I'm I'm coming around to the idea that these movies are going to continue to expand the Star Wars universe, and some of it is going to feel a little un-Star Warsy sometimes. I had big problems with Rogue One because of that very thing. It just, it to me, and it's me personally, I'm like, this doesn't feel like the Star Wars that I know, but I'm, I understand I'm going to have to, to accept that fact because J.J. Abrams is not going to direct them all. George Lucas has nothing to do with it, nor should he. And this guy, Ryan Johnson, decided to do his own thing and, and add stuff that he decided fits within the Star Wars universe. And... I think overall that's a good thing, but I need to learn to accept it a little bit more. Right. That being I, said, I like Rogue One even less now than I did when I first saw that too. Oh, really? And it, it, it's it's pissing me off because uh, if I can just kind of derail the conversation slightly, it actually ruined A New Hope for me a little bit because A New Hope was this uh, this guy Luke Skywalker coming out of nowhere, right? 
we didn't know who he was. He was just this kid living on a friggin' farm. Uh, it's the call to the call to arms or the call to action, right? All of a sudden, you have to be the hero, mm-hmm. and he becomes the hero. And at the end of that movie, he shuts down technology, and he trusts in himself or the Force, and he does the absolute impossible. Uh, he destroys the Death Star with one shot, or two shots, but... It was impossible. Even the people that were on the Death Star are saying, you know, they're just a bunch of small craft coming to this Death Star. Why even bother thinking about them? They're just going to blow up because of the turrets we have, and there's no reason to be concerned. Uh, They can't do anything. And then Luke does the impossible. Now, it's not Luke doing the impossible. It's, hey, we did this thing. Uh, Luke just happened to follow the plan we had set from the design. So it, it kind of undermines Luke Skywalker in my mind. No, I think you're totally wrong about that. Luke still does the impossible by getting the torpedoes into the hole. The the only re- the reason they knew the hole was there is because of the plans being stolen and delivered, right? He still he still uses the force and blows up that Death Star by doing the impossible. It's just that he knew where to shoot. Yeah. I don't think it undermines but, Luke at all in New so. Hope. I think Rogue right, right. One is a brilliant lead up to a new hope um despite it not feeling very star warsy but again different director and different different times so i'm i'm sort of okay with that anyways back to back to last jedi I, i one other thing i wanted to say about the casino planet was the escape from the casino planet I did not like riding those horse type things out of there and like crashing through buildings and then just coming out and you know jumping down onto the beach and their ship getting shot which is fine and then being able to scale a vertical cliff you know is there anything those animals can't do first of all um even though they were cool animals they were neat characters or creatures i think i just didn't like the whole escape on horseback aesthetic to the thing um but once once it it was gone it makes it better because you know, Star Wars was essentially a Western. Yeah, I know. I know. And and I don't know if it makes it better. I, I mean, I see how it kind of fits into the space Western genre, but I just didn't like it. It felt a little bit prequely to me, you know, uh, uh yeah. put pod in race kind of thing. Well, and, and the, the funny thing is the pod race is the one part about the first prequel that I, is that the first one? I think it was in the, yeah, it was the first one. Episode that one. was stupid little Anakin. Yeah, I actually liked the pod race. I thought the pod race by itself was a fun, exciting scene to watch and had some cool moments in it. Um, but just riding these creatures out of there just felt prequely, felt George Lucasy, and uh, I just didn't like it that much. So, well, you can't blame George Lucas. I know you can't blame him now, but I'm saying it felt like that's the kind of thing he would do, not a better director <laughs> like right. Ryan Johnson. Okay. Still feels like you're blaming him a little bit. Oh, okay, fine. Maybe, maybe I am. Somehow he's, somehow he's involved. It's still his fault. It's still his fault. Everything wrong with Star Wars is Lucas's fault. Well, the other thing I didn't like, um, the first time through and a little bit the second time, but it was much less of a problem. The second viewing was how Poe Dameron played by, uh, what's that guy's name? Oscar Isaac. Oscar Isaac. One of my absolute favorite parts of episode seven loved him loved that new character i felt in this one he was he just he didn't seem to be as good at his job as he was 
as I thought he would be, right? He was undermining orders. He was not listening to his superiors, which is kind of the same thing. Um, and sure, ultimately, he's a good guy and he's part of the team and stuff like that. But I just wanted to see him behave a little bit better. And I feel like yeah. sometimes watching, like sometimes you watch movies to see, to watch people who are really good at what they do. And as an officer in this resistance fleet, um, and supposedly be the best pilot and all these sorts of things, seeing him kind of like, you know, shrugging off orders like that, um, I felt a little disappointed in him and I didn't like that feeling. Yeah, I kind of agree. He just needed to tone down and, you know, there's a, there's a larger, uh, perspective that you have to take into account when uh when when shit's going down you can't just go off half cocked and do whatever you feel like uh you know you're part of a team there poe right not, it's not just you right you're not just shooting those uh oh i'm gonna lose street credit in this this the the creatures that uh luke used to shoot in his uh minox minox no um no no minox <laughs> were in the anyway <laughs> yeah they were only, they were less, uh, they were no bigger than two meters because that's what he was comparing to, uh, shooting in the, uh, the, the exhaust port right below the main port, uh, in the trench run. Womp rats? Is that what they were? I forget what they were. Anyways, it doesn't matter. <laughs> I know what you mean though. <laughs> yeah. He's not just going off and shooting those suckers with wedge and yeah. tillies. He's, uh, you know, he, he's, uh, he's an officer. He's got to pay attention and follow orders and. Don't pull this shit and get everybody killed when uh, they're doing a bombing run uh, on 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 the dreadnought. Which uh, where was the gravity coming from for the bombs to drop? But Shut that's up. okay. It's just <laughs> it's Star Wars. What are you gonna do? I think it's those be, bombs. It's space, you know. I think those bombs had some sort of uh, propulsion system built in, so they were able to propel themselves straight into the opening of the dreadnought. They looked like they were falling to me. Well, they but were just me. they were being propelled. All right, they were uh, they had their own gravity. They, sure, <laughs> an artificial gravity uh, in, in them, so that they would fall like a regular bomb. It wouldn't take okay, very it wouldn't take very much momentum to just go start going in the right direction. Once they've started going, they they keep going. So well, it's space, yeah. They right? just go right. They just go. They just go. Okay, so let's talk about Luke Skywalker. Wait a minute. Just while we're, while we're on the bombs, then we'll get to Luke Skywalker. All right. The opening action scene of this movie, you know, bomb gravity problem aside, is maybe my favorite action. It's like space battle in a Star Wars movie. It was fan frigging tastic. I thought. I mean, everything about it was exciting. It was um, clear what was going on the whole time. There wasn't like a billion ships on screen all shooting at each other where there was a lot sometimes, but you, you, you could sort of keep track of everything. We're introduced to a character who has no lines. I don't think other than the odd grunt and groan. And when she falls down a ladder, but you, you get her a hundred percent. You, you feel for her. You are sad when she dies. She ends up being a hero, you know, by kicking the thing down and pressing the button and all of that done inside like an amazing space battle. I think Ryan Johnson and whoever wrote that did a masterful job with that. And I just wanted to throw that out there. All right. I agree. It was good. It was fun. It was amazing. It was an amazing space battle. But uh, yeah. if, if I only watched the first 
10 minutes of this movie, I'd be like, it's the greatest thing ever put on film. <laughs> so, <laughs> Even better than the, uh, the assault on the Death Star and a new hope. Also really, really good. But I think this one was, uh, this one was better in some ways because it came right at the beginning of the movie. Right. And it, it cold opened us into this film without any idea of sort of what's going on and, you don't need it. It just, it reintroduces you right back into things. I expected this movie to open with the last scene from the previous movie of Ray handing Luke the lightsaber, but they didn't. I mean, they got to that quickly right after this, but we opened with the space battle and it blew me away. So right. I just think it Speak- was one of the best ones. Speaking of that, we got a gag. As soon as you handed him the lightsaber, he threw it away. Yeah, he threw, that's right. He threw it away. Um, was this the funniest Star Wars movie we've had, do you think? I don't know, but, uh, you know, I felt it felt a little awkward to me that we had that gag in there. Like, okay, but was that gag more awkward than uh, Poe uh, pretending he can't hear General Hux on the, on the Dreadnought at the beginning? Okay, I'll hold. If you can't, you know, remember that? That, that was a I long do. joke for Star Wars. I know, but in a, in, then there was, uh, in A New Hope, we had Han Solo when he was dressed uh, half as a stormtrooper going, uh, we're all fine here, we're 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 okay, we just had a problem with the communication, we're trying to lock it down, uh, we're yeah. all good here, yeah, yeah. how are you? And then he grimaces, because he knows that's a dumb thing to say. That That's my favorite part in that whole movie, was when uh, uh, Han Solo grimaces after asking, how are you? Right. I, <laughs> and then he shoots and goes, boring conversation anyway. That's funny. It's funny, this but it seemed a little awkward to me. It, see, that's the Han Solo moment is funny, but it's played more seriously. I think this this scene with Poe on the radio with Hux is played way more for comedy. And I liked it because they established that about Poe's character in the last movie when right at the beginning, when he's forced to his knees in front of Kylo Ren and he does that whole, so who talks first? Me? Do I talk first? Do you talk first? <laughs> yeah, that, right? that was good. They established that about him and they just took it one step farther in this film. And, you know, it it did feel a little like, if it, you know, it went on an extra second or two maybe, but I didn't mind it too much. And I like that about Poe's character. He's funny that way. And right. also it played into what they were doing. He was stalling. He was buying them time to you know, do something else. He wasn't just trying to be funny. He was, that was actually kind of part of the plan. It turned out to be funny. And and I liked it for that. Right. Uh, and then Luke Skywalker, Luke Skywalker throws the lightsaber away. Um, unexpected, but again, didn't bother me. It's, it plays into the way uh, to, to Luke's mentality in this film, I think. Yeah. He's trying, he's, you know, he's given up, he's checked out, he's rage quit the, uh, the whole thing, like everything. Like I've shut myself off from, uh, from the force. Yep. I'm going to live on this stupid Island. Uh, I'm going to have these, uh, these people, you know, feed me mm-hmm. or he's going to drink milk from these gross animals. Like, yeah, it, <laughs> that it, was weird. It was, okay, we- that was weird, right? Milking those weird cows. It was, but dude, it explains where the blue milk comes from. Like again, it's rooted in the Star Wars universe. We saw blue milk in his home on Tatooine way back all those years ago. And now we know where the blue milk comes from. Well, maybe like this is where this blue milk comes from. Like where do they get it on Tatooine? Like did they have these animals on Tatooine as well? Well, look, man, if I can buy Kiwis from Argentina, I'm pretty sure they can, they can ship blue milk from 
oh, planet to man. planet. That's, that's the galaxy's pretty friggin' big. I mean, the the Earth is big, but it's getting smaller all the time, and they can ship things around in refrigerated container ships. Sure, but damn it, that's it's a whole galaxy, and this far away. Of course it is, but they have spacecraft that can travel at the speed of light so i think going from the first jedi temple all the way to tatooine in the middle of a moisture farm listen listen i don't think maybe those giant uh animals whatever they are only live there maybe they live in other places too i'm just saying i think i think it was great i think it was a star wars kind of easter egg that yeah explains something that you know probably isn't even that obscure to be honest like a lot of people are thinking hey blue milk there it is again straight out of the animal so overall i liked the uh, the luke skywalker story i thought okay. it was i thought it was really well done and i thought mark hamill did a fantastic job i would agree with that i think mark hamill did a great job i liked the luke skywalker story um it was you know unexpected to see him being sort of a grumpy old man who'd what did Ray say? Shut himself off from the force. Yeah. You know, he wasn't really into it anymore. And he said himself, he came to that Island to die. <laughs> so, well, I mean, uh, he was very Obi-Wan, which I thought was fantastic. Just this, you know, the, the grizzled older, uh, Jedi hanging out. I expected him to show up at some point and say, I don't remember owning any droids. <laughs> yeah. sure. that's the same thing right if uh friggin obi-wan uh it's only it was only 17 years after the uh, end of the prequels until he uh you know ages like 700 years from uh ewan mcgregor to alec guinness uh you know in a span of 17 years uh and he forgets that he had some droids around him he forgets who friggin r2 is come on stop nitpicking the previous <laughs> films and stick to this one okay so i like the uh, the mark hamill thing or sorry i liked mark hamill as as luke skywalker i only had one problem with uh with the whole and it was not even it's not even a a, a story problem or a nitpicky kind of problem it was just kind of made me sad problem uh and that's when he showed up at the uh, the rebel base at the end mm-hmm. and then all of those uh at at started shooting at the uh like they all just focused right on luke skywalker yeah and they shot the living bejesus out of him yep. and then at the end of it he was just standing there like nothing happened he brushed his shoulder brushed his i wanted that to be real i wanted that to be luke's power that could resist that level of uh firepower but it's the only reason he could do that, or it's not the only reason, but the reason in this story that he could do that was that he wasn't really there. And it made me yeah. sad because I wanted Luke Skywalker to be that fucking powerful of a Jedi. Yeah, I can see your point. Um, did you, when did you pick up on the fact that he wasn't really there? Uh, when they showed us that he wasn't there. I didn't know. At the end. Like at the end. After yeah. this. Yeah. I didn't either. I didn't pick up on the fact that he wasn't there until they showed us until Kylo Ren's lightsaber passes through him. And he's just a projection of himself. Um, but it was telegraphed in the film. It was, he didn't leave tracks, the red tracks. Right. And I didn't notice that the first time I watched it again, due to my movie watching problem, I, I, I was, probably paying attention to something else. And I, I missed that. But on the second viewing, I'm like, oh my God, he's not leaving tracks. Look at how obvious it is because they're showing Kylo's feet leaving red tracks and not Luke's. Um, and, but that was also one of those force powers that I don't think we've, we've seen before the, the, the ability to project yourself in a realistic form across 
space, um, you know, the vastness of space, and in fact interact with people because, you know, he handed Leia yeah. those dice from the Millennium Falcon and he touched her hand and they embraced and stuff like that. I think but the dice kissed, weren't real either. He they were projections. I know they weren't, but he was able to, like, she thought they were real at the time. He was able to physically uh, manifest I'm not entirely things. sure that she wasn't in on the projection thing. Um, I don't think she was. I, I don't think she. She, you really think that Leia thought Luke was actually there? Well, he walks in the door. It's not like he just materializes out of nothing, right? He comes in and, and, and. And Obi Wan, when he, else he, uh, he showed up as a uh, as an apparition in uh, Return of the Jedi, and he walked through uh, he he walked through the forest to show up to Luke. Like it, it, he didn't just materialize right beside him. He looked like he was coming in out of the forest. Now he was all sparkly and obviously dead, but that's. Uh, you know, it's just, it's the kind of thing you do. You don't want to be rude and just walk through a wall and say, hey, I know. I'm here. You pretend that you're coming in from uh, a, an adjacent room. And it, well, my point was just that you know, when when they show up as as force ghosts, I think is what people tend to call them. That's one thing. That like That's one force power, right? This is yeah. something totally different. And I get it. You don't want to just materialize out of nowhere and have people crap their pants because like, where did that guy come from? Right. Um. But, but it, at, when it was revealed that he wasn't really there, I was a little bit like, what the hell? They can, like, Jedis can do that now? And again, I'm okay with it. Um, and really, it's obviously a, something that, that takes a great amount of power and causes a great amount of stress because Luke, from my understanding, basically used up the rest of his life force or whatever you want to call it, doing that to help his friends. And that's what kind of killed him in the end, right? That's what made him fade away. So it, I think you're thinking of the force as a set of spells that the force users can, can do. Like they have the mind Jedi mind right. trick and they have the throwing the lightsaber and it coming back and they have the, you know, bouncing, uh, telekinesis or the, uh, lightning fingers and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah lightning fingers, you know, kind of an upper echelon dark side kind of power. Sure. Uh, but it's not, it's just, it's, you know, it's not spells that uh, even Luke even says that it's not, you know, not things that Jedi can do. All that's that everything you said is wrong. Yeah. It's just it's uh, so I don't think it's a matter of uh, Jedi can do that now. I think it's a matter of Luke had a need and he figured out a way to do this thing that he needed to do. Oh, 100 percent. And you're absolutely right. For all, my entire life, I've thought of the force as a set of powers. One of them is telekinesis. One of them is shooting lightning out of your fingers, I guess, maybe dark side only. One of them is, is, um, yeah, mind tricks, you know, yeah, things like Jedi that. Mind trick. Yep. And, and, and I've, and that's how I've thought of it, but you can't blame me. I mean, that's how it was presented yeah. to us for a long time. And thinking about it now, having played many hours of Star Wars role-playing game as a kid, that's how it was presented in the game too. Different because it's a game and you can't just have willy-nilly probably but there was a list of force powers that you could use in that in that game um champions did it they had a, what's called a uh, uh a pool like you had a yeah. pool of power like uh batman has a gadget pool right uh in that it's not that he has a bunch of things on his utility belt it's a matter of he wears a utility belt and when he needs something he kind of figures out what that is and then it 
is right. magically there for him to use. Right, and and it makes more sense to think of the force the way you've described it as just a. You can kind of do what you need at the time, and it's a it's a it's a level of power thing and yeah. exertion. Some maybe, things almost. take more power. Some things don't. Mm-hmm. Like. Uh, you know, as a human being, there's a lot that I can do physically. Uh, some things uh, will take more effort than others. Of course. There's some things that, you know, may need to be done that will kill me. <laughs> Hopefully not too many. Not too many. Yeah. And, uh, you know, doing a deep knee bend to save my life would be uh, a challenge at this point. <laughs> I have bad knees. Yeah. Well, overall, though, I enjoyed the Luke Skywalker stuff. Uh, it was nice to see sort of a resolution to his whole story. And clearly they're slowly killing off the main characters with Han Solo dying in the last movie, Luke, Luke Skywalker dying in this one. Um, but Princess Leia did not die in this movie. The one of the actors who is no longer with us in real life, sadly. Very ironic, actually. A little bit. Um, I was very, very ready for Leia to be to be killed in this movie. And yeah. I was, I was like a hundred percent sure <laughs> going into this film that she would be on a starship and there would be some sort of battle happening. Kylo Ren is flying a TIE fighter around and he is the one who has to take the shot that destroys her cruiser. And that almost happened in this movie. So, but he doesn't actually take the shot, even though her ship gets destroyed and she floats out into space and then, and then something weird happens. It, she's able to use the force to pull herself back into the bridge of that ship. And yeah, she's a Jedi. Man, wow. did I think that was weird the first time I saw it. And I didn't change my opinion entirely the second time. It was a little weird. Uh, I was, I agree with you. And I was also expecting, uh, Princess Leia not to survive this movie. I thought that she was going to be in it for a little while and then they would kill her off. And mm-hmm. then, you know, she was in it for a little while and then it looked like they killed her off and then they didn't. And then a little later, it looked like they killed her off, but then they didn't. Mm-hmm. And then she met with, uh, Luke and then now she's, she's got to be they got to kill her off before the next movie, right? I mean, I mean, she survived the film. She's alive at the end. And part of me thinks that the final film, episode nine, is going to open with like a funeral or something, you know, where she dies in between movies some, somehow. I, I haven't decided yet whether that will feel anticlimactic or not. But the, I watching her come back to life out in the void of space and then draw herself into that ship was another moment where after the second viewing i felt weird about it because it was another force power that we haven't really seen before and this time coming from a character who sure we know is a skywalker and definitely in a family that is strong with the force but haven't ever really seen her um do anything significant with the force before until now and you know ryan johnson the director questioned questioned about this said that in his mind, he likes the idea of a character who's not really a force user being put in a situation that is an emergency, basically, and it comes out in that moment. Like the example he gave is when somebody's child is pinned under a car and parents summon superhuman strength to lift the car off their kid, right? That happens yeah. in real life. And but it's not superhuman strength. Well, it's... 
it, well, anyway, it's it's you're able to apply uh, enough willpower to bring all of your muscles and tendons into uh, accomplishing the goal that you need. It's this very same thing that Luke Skywalker did. It's the very same thing that Princess Leia did. You're absolutely right. It's just in humans, it's not super strength that they're summoning. Okay, it's but just yeah, all it's right. uh, being able to uh, apply all of your actual strength. And then afterwards, it probably hurts like a son of a bitch. You've probably ripped all kinds of tendon, tendons <laughs> and muscle filaments, and you're going to be in a lot of pain. It's just at the Fine. time, your adrenaline is pumping to the point where it's like, well, that's probably going to hurt. Yeah, yeah. But you don't notice it. Superhuman strength is just a, you know, just a phrase. It's just a way to describe it. I know it's not superhuman because we all only, only are human, but. You ever pick up a carton of milk that you think is full, but isn't? Yes, of course. Ooh. That's superhuman strength. Whoa. <laughs> it flies right it's off the It's the same camera. thing. <laughs> yeah. You're just, you're applying too much muscle power to accomplish the, the goal at the time. Sure. But you don't think about it. It just comes out when you need it to, right? And that's what was happening with Leia. He was saying that this force yeah. ability in her, she, she may not have even known she had it or could do it, but it came out when the time was right. And she, and those people herself. lift cars, they grit so hard that they break their teeth. Right. That's, that's not good. No, it's not, but that's what they're doing. They're, they're, you know, planning a lot more force than they usually do. Like their teeth pop because they're, you're grinding their jaws so hard. Oh, that's gross. It is, but uh, they don't notice it till afterwards. It's like, why the hell do I have broken teeth? Right. Because and you were clenching your jaw so damn much. And the nice the, the nice thing is they lifted a car off a child, so that's good. Absolutely, yeah. Save the day, you know, with the sacrifice of everything. Like, just fuck it. Right. <laughs> I'll, I'd, I'd pop a couple of teeth to save my kid. Right. You're damn right. Of course, of course. I'd break your teeth to do it, that's for sure. Well, you know, I'll, I'll help you lift the car. How about that? You don't have to punch okay, me in the done. face. <laughs> I'll call you. Hey, All right. Hey, Chris, you got a minute? Can yeah. you, you know, like jump a few minutes ahead of me and stop that ship that's trying to get away from me? Um, so anyways, I'm still a little bit uncomfortable with the Princess Leia stuff. Uh, but with that explanation, I'm kind of okay with it. What I don't really think though, is that that was in the movie. I don't, really feel like I, without him coming out and saying that, I sort of would have thought of it like that. To me, I just thought, uh, this kind of looks kind of dumb. It looks a little cheesy. I thought she looked weird flying through space and I don't understand what's going on here. So I wasn't a huge fan of, of that bit, but that being said, I was, you know, I'm not upset that Princess Leia did not die, even though I was expecting it. And uh, I'm glad I'm glad she was such a big part of the film in general. Yeah, me too. I mean, I kind of thought at the time that she should have uh, piloted their their ship uh, rather than Laura Dern at the time, uh, you know, to sacrifice herself in order to uh, save the uh, uh, the getaway ships. I yeah. thought that that might have been a great Princess Leia ending, but then we wouldn't have gotten the, uh, the Luke and Leia uh, talking at the end. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It w they would have had to rearrange a lot of things if you wanted to have both of those things in there. Uh, but you're right. I mean, her piloting the ship alone could have worked. Could have worked as long as they could figure out how to how to incorporate everything else. Else, she could have been well. a force ghost afterwards that meets up with uh, Luke projection, and that would have been a whole thing. I, that would have been a whole thing. Yeah, I guess so. I don't know. But <laughs> do only do do all Jedi's come back as 
or have the ability mm-hmm. to come back as force ghosts or just. I think it's a matter of need. I think they come yeah. back when they're needed. And right. So that's when, uh, you know, <laughs> so uh, Obi-Wan came back because he needed to give Luke advice. Uh, Yoda came back a couple of times to give advice, even though this many, many years later to talk to Luke again. Right. Cause I assume that dead Jedi, uh, don't live in a, in a, in an existence where time is linear like ours. Like they just kind of, there's no real time. It's like the last season of lost, like time doesn't really mean anything. <laughs> sure. Right? Okay. Yeah. Um, but then uh, at the end, end of uh, Return of the Jedi, uh, Anakin comes back. And depending on what version you watch, it's, uh, you know, the old guy Anakin or it's uh, friggin' what's his name uh, from the prequels. Yeah. Uh, come back at the end uh, to smile at Luke. I'm not sure why exactly Anakin's needed at that moment. It's just like, oh, thanks, son, for, uh, you know. He's just Redeeming there. me before I die. He's just there. Um, uh, yeah, I think they come back as necessary. I really enjoyed the Yoda scene actually in this movie to sort of set Luke straight and explain to him that, you know, this place and this Jedi temple, this tree that holds the books and so on is actually not that important. And because Luke is going to burn it down, changes his mind. And then Yoda's like, nah, I'll set some lightning. I'll burn it down. You know, burn that shit down. I mean, you're, you're absolutely right. When you describe the force, they don't need Jedi. Like the force is everywhere. What the fuck do you need a Jedi for? They're not a guardian of the force. No. They're just these guys that, you know, know about it and can, uh, it's not even manipulated. It's not like their powers. I think it's a matter of, they kind of ask the universe for something to happen. It's like, you know what, universe, dude, I got this thing I need to do. I, you know, I got this lightsaber that I want to throw it at that guy, mm-hmm. but I don't want to lose it. So if you wouldn't mind... Can you send it back to me? That'd be great. <laughs> That'd be great. And the universe is like, you know what? I like you. I'm sure. going to do that for you this time. Next time you do it, ask. I might not do it this time. That next time. But this time, I'll let it come back. Sure. But the whole thing, and, and mostly the Yoda part, was just, to me, It, I just felt like it was the movie saying the, you know, the force is important. The past is important. You have to respect the past. Um, but what's really important is what you're doing right now and sort of what's going to happen in the future. And that's why that Jedi temple tree was not worth saving, but it's also why, you know, Ray took the books and she's put them in the Millennium Falcon and that's her, just her way of, of remembering the past, but not being slave to it kind of thing. Right. Right. And which is, a po- which is kind of counter, uh, counterpoint to uh, Kylo Ren's philosophy. You know, you have to get rid of the past, kill it if you have to. Right. Kill it if you have to. Um, but, but her keeping the books in there again, I didn't even notice that the first time I watched the movie because I'm unable to pay attention to shit. Uh, so, so I, I needed that second time and I really liked it. And I really liked that sort of theme in, in the film, but Hey, how about Kylo Ren? So the, um, the expectation Snoke would be the big bad guy for this whole trilogy. You know, he's introduced sort of in a mysterious way in the last movie. And now in this film, we meet him for real and he seems to be super powerful and he's the one calling the shots. And then he is killed off, not even in like a big fight. He's killed off by his own apprentice uh, through trickery and deceit. Um, which is awesome, which is awesome, but it turns out he's really not that important a part 
in this story, at least for the next movie. Uh, you know, he yeah. may have been important in these first two, but we didn't even see him in real, uh, you know, in the first one much. And now in this one, he's gone halfway through. Um, I thought that was really great, actually, and totally subverts your expe expectation because you think, well, he's going to be the big bad guy. But now he's gone. Which I liked because the emperor in the uh, in in the first movie was this ethereal kind of it was just a projection, right? In uh, in a new hope, yeah. And then he shows up in Return of the Jedi, and he's just this guy. He's just you know an old guy. Sure, he's sure he's powerful and everything, but previously it was like friggin' Darth Vader is bowing to somebody. Holy shit! Yeah, like dude, that's crazy. Uh, but in the third movie, it's just like, oh, well, he's just some old guy. Sure. He's kind of manipulative and, you know, can shoot lightning out of his fingertips, but it's just this guy, you know? Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's just this guy. So now we have Snoke who, again, in the first movie was this huge projection. It's like, holy shit, we got a new emperor going on here. And, uh, he's this, uh, you know, big bad guy. Well, he's going to be, uh, he's going to be crazy hard to defeat. And then in the second movie here, we get, you know, he's still... Uh, a big bad guy, but again, he's just this guy, you know, and uh, Kylo Ren is able to defeat him uh, and not like Darth Vader defeating the emperor. He just picked him up and threw him off a bridge. Uh, he actually used uh, deceit because uh, uh, he, he could see into Kylo Ren's uh, mind and what he was thinking. So Kylo Ren had to do two things at the same time mm -hmm. to throw him off, which I thought was fantastic. That's right. He had to raise the lightsaber in his hand, but also turn the lightsaber that was sitting on the desk beside him. And that's, that was great. I thought I'm just surprised that Snoke is done and is not going to be a factor in the third movie after being set up at least what I thought to be the, uh, the main like bad guy. Um, and I think that's great. You know, I, I don't know what exactly is going to happen in the third film now. And I think that's really, really cool. Uh, but that the rest of that scene and that lightsaber battle and, you know, the shot where the lightsaber comes to Ray and all you see is her hand up in the air. That's great. I love that kind of stuff. And I, you know, I wish we almost got more of it. Yeah. Uh, but what a great fight scene after that, too. You know, maybe next time. Yeah, maybe next time. Um, you know, Kylo Ren, a rather skilled dark Jedi and Ray who isn't all that skilled, but gets by, but clearly, you know, uses the force pretty strongly, even though she, uh, she kind of wings it a little bit, but I just thought a great fight. And then the way it ended with them tearing the lightsaber apart, um, as they both sort of struggled for their own side was, was fantastic. I loved every minute of that. Yeah, it was really good. And I, uh, I choose to believe that every character that Andy Serkis plays, who he played uh, Snoke, uh -huh. uh, that they're the same character. So I think, uh, personally, I believe that Smeagol uh, evolved into Caesar, uh, which then became <laughs> Snoke. That's, uh, <laughs> there's, there's an essay in there somewhere about how <laughs> Lord of the Rings and Planet of the Apes and Star Wars are all in the same universe. <laughs> uh, yeah, I just choose to think, well, maybe the character jumps to universes. I don't know. Well, you know, okay. uh, Middle Earth is supposed to be on Earth. Uh, according to J.R.R. Tolkien himself, it's supposed to be prehistory Europe. Correct. Right? Yes. And so that's Earth and uh, Planet of the Apes. This is the Planet of the Apes. Like, it is. We're on it. Yes. This is the Planet of the Apes. So that's Earth. But then Star Wars takes place in a different galaxy far, far away. A long time ago. That doesn't, a long time ago. That doesn't mean that 
uh, it's not the same universe. But then Shrek takes place far, far away as well. So how do you figure that? Uh, well, Andy Circus didn't play Shrek, so. No, I know. Not a problem. The, act, the, the land in <laughs> Shrek is actually called far, far away. Yeah. Anyways. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I don't know uh, how time travel works in this, this particular universe, but uh, yeah, Andy Circus, uh, he's always playing the same character. Well. Except when he's actually Andy Circus, then he's different. He's, he's really good, no matter what. He is really good. Well, anyways, The Last Jedi, I... Loved it the second time I saw it. I was rather unsure the first time, but it's it all really came together for me on a second viewing, and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing it again. I think I think it was really great. I think Ryan Johnson did a great job, even though, um, and I can't say despite introducing a whole bunch of new sort of Star Warsy type things because once I've had a time to digest them and think about them, most of it makes sense to me. And, uh, I think, I think it was a really good film, but it was definitely not the empire strikes back. And that's kind of what I expected going in, but I was fooled into that because of how much, uh, the force awakens was similar to new hope. Right. Only, uh, two more things I wanted to mention about, uh, about this movie. Do it. Uh, the first thing is, uh, holy shit, the whole rebel alliance fits in the millennium Falcon now. I know like, there is holy no, shit. There's nobody <laughs> left. <laughs> like there is almost nobody left. Yeah. So, uh, that's fun. <laughs> yeah. And the second thing is, uh, when Benicio del Toro said, uh, when his character, what was his name? Toro. No, no. Was it Benicio del Toro? What was his character's name? I don't remember. Anyway, uh, when his character said, uh, sure, we were, we supply weapons to the, uh, to the, uh, the empire or the, the new order, but who do you think make, makes weapons for the, uh, for the rebels? Oh Yeah. Like, selling arms to both sides right yeah this is this this conflict that's been going on for a long time this works for us like this is how we make our money yeah you know we have to so in the next movie uh somebody's gonna back them they have to back them because if they don't back them that whole economy is gonna go to shit yeah absolutely absolutely and that's that's one of those little real world touches that star war that ryan johnson added to this film you know that there are superpowers or there are uh, there are two sides to every story and often yeah. people are making money off of both sides and that happens in real life and in a galaxy far far away i think yeah it reminded me of uh, the joker in uh the dark knight returns uh or the dark uh, yeah the joker when he uh, goes goes to batman kill you what would I do without you? Yeah, I need you. <laughs> you complete me. Absolutely. If you've seen Lego Batman movie, that's in there too. Yeah. <laughs> in a more yeah, kid- exactly without the without the conflict, I'm not. I'm nothing. In a more kid friendly way, absolutely. Um, Benicio del Toro's character was named DJ. DJ, of yeah, course it was. DJ. Uh, yeah. So that that was the other thing that I thought was uh, was fantastic. Was there something else too? You said too. Two. The side of the first thing was uh, the the entire Rebel Alliance fits in the Millennium Falcon. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> that's gonna be well for now problematic for them, but we'll see. Um, what... Well, they have a bunch of kids on the planet with the the running animals and the uh, uh, the uh, casino. Yeah. So the kids. Let's talk about these kids for a second because you know f- f- the the Star Wars universe, from what I understand, is a long time ago there was this you know, Jedis were prolific and there were Jedis everywhere and there were, they were fighting the good fight and they were all doing good things. And then we get 
to the birth of Anakin Skywalker and his progression into Darth Vader. And Luke comes along and it feels like there are no Jedi left. The Jedi Council, remember, was destroyed. All the children um, were killed. Anakin kills all the, the learners. What do you call them? Padawans, right? Padawan, Padawans, yeah. Yeah, and and there are no Jedi's left, and it's all like focused on these two or three people. And I think what this movie does is says, you know what, what we're doing is fighting to expand the Force out to the masses again, and that's why the last scene of this film was that little kid sweeping the landing bay of of that ship or whatever it was because did you notice he force pulls the broom to himself oh yeah i noticed not on the first viewing i didn't but on the second one i did and even when we were walking out of the thing with my kids soph says to me daddy did you notice that that boy used the force at the end i'm like i sure did this time <laughs> <laughs> you have really have a problem you missed some uh, significant pieces of information that's why i don't understand the movie the first time i see it because i just i just don't pick up on shit like that because instead of looking at the character force pulling the broom i'm looking at the star field out beyond in the background thinking wow i gotta take all this in and that's my problem uh, but but that's what it is. It's like they're setting this up for the force and for all kinds of people to become force users or Jedis. And it's kind of like the force was for everybody and then it was just for a few. And now it's going back to being for everybody. Yeah, I think that's great. Um, anyways. It is good. And I blame Qui-Gon, Qui-Gon Jinn? Qui-Gon, Qui-Gon Jinn. Qui-Gon Jinn, yeah. I blame him because when he found Anakin, because we have all the Jedi that are basically everywhere. They're negotiating trade agreements, for God's sake. They're basically the space police. They're uh, (laughs) investigators. (laughs) Trade agreements. Yeah. Lucas, what were you thinking? Anyway, um, he needed so many checks and balances that he just did not have uh, in, in... When he was working on A New Hope, his wife basically was the better part of that uh, arrangement for making that movie. It was her idea that the uh, the Death Star should be uh, attacking the rebel base at the end. Instead of just the rebels finding the Death Star and going murdering six million people, uh-huh. they needed to have the conflict of them going around and, you know, if we don't attack them, they're going to kill us. So it had to be a us or them kind of situation. That was her idea. Mm-hmm. And that was post-principal photography. Man, it's a good thing she was around. <laughs> a damn good thing that she was around, or the rebels would have just been murderers. Yeah. Finding this Death Star and murdering. Anyway, uh, Qui-Gon Jinn, when he finds Anakin, he, the whole thing is bringing balance to the Force. So they've got all these uh, Jedi all over the galaxy doing good things for millions of people, and there's lots of them. Uh, what the hell did you think bringing balance to the force would mean it's heavily good and you're going to bring balance to the force by uh, finding Anakin. You're obviously <laughs> propon- uh, promoting evil. You stupid son of a bitch. <laughs> they should have just murdered Anakin in his sleep while he was a kid. Yeah. Well, and, and we got some of that in this film too, right? When, when we see the two different sides of the story of Luke flashing back to uh, losing Kylo Ren or Ben Solo as his, uh, as his apprentice, right? 
Yeah. He, he, no, that was uh, that was really good. And then the the line where he said, "I, I was wasn't afraid of. I saw, I've only seen this raw power once before, and it didn't scare me enough. Yeah, it does now. Yeah, that's the best thing that Mark Hamill ever said on screen, in my opinion. It was. There were. I think that was really really good. And there were a couple of great lines that sort of summed up this movie. That was one of them. The other one was when. Um, uh, when Finn goes to pull Rose out of the crashed speeder near the end, right? And before she kisses him, she says, what does she say? Don't fight against the things you hate, fight for the things you love. Yeah. That's great too. I think that was a, another really great sort of thematic moment for the movie. Yep. Um, but we didn't talk about Finn at all. Uh, he was not as big a part of this film as I thought he might be, but I, I realize now that they sort of had a lot to deal with in this movie. They had Ray's story, they had Luke's story, they had obviously everything else that was going on with the rest of the Resistance trying to escape, and Finn was an important part of it, but I kind of expected him to just play a bigger role for some reason. Um, even though when I think back on it now, and again on my second viewing, I realize he did, he was in it and he played an important role. Um, but his biggest scene was probably the scene towards the end where they were escaping and he had to fight, um, Captain Phasma, the, right. uh, captain, the stormtrooper captain. Yeah. Uh, the chick from Lady, 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 Lady Brianna from Game of Thrones. Gwendolyn Christie. Yeah. Yeah. Who never takes the helmet off. All we get is an eye, a broken eye, uh, part of the broken helmet and we can see her eye through it. Um, another character here who I thought they sort of made a big deal of in the first movie, who's a little bit anticlimactic in this one. She, as far as we can tell, Captain Phasma's dead, right? Falls into a yeah, big explosion. I so I end. thought that would be bigger. I thought it'd be more meaningful, but it really wasn't, which is kind of sad. Yeah, me too. I, I thought that that fight of them escaping was, a little bit tacked on in a way, you know, it's like they needed to, they're on board the ship. They've been betrayed by DJ and then the ship is exploding and uh, they need to get off. Now that's a very star Warsy type thing, but it sort of felt to me like, well, we got to do something with captain Phasma. So let's have her fight Finn here at the end. Yeah. Um, and it works. She's got to survive and then join the Rebel Alliance. Well, it works because he's a former stormtrooper, so they have a history and and all that kind of stuff. But to me, it felt a little anticlimactic. Uh, yeah. And I don't know if that's the last we'll see of Phasma, but I think it might I hope be. Not. Well, I think it might be. I think Ryan Johnson came along as like, all right, I'm going to kill Snoke. I'm going to kill Phasma, and good luck on the last movie, you guys, <laughs> because <laughs> I'm killing off all your big villains, uh, which is fine with me, but. A little surprising is also. You can't, yeah. You know, well, Star Wars is is known for that, right? Not being, not uh, you know, you kill somebody in their, in the case of Star Wars, they blew up the Death Star in the first movie. Uh huh. That doesn't mean the Death Star is going away. No, there's another they one. They had another one, yeah. a bigger one that took a <laughs> hell of a lot less time to build than the first one. Well, first one took twenty years because they were only planning for it when Luke was born, and then they finally were just finishing it uh, by the time Luke turned seventeen. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then the second one, that only took a couple of years. Right. Well, they, they, they didn't have to like design it the second but time. It was bigger. I guess. <laughs> and I, I assume that they redesigned it so it didn't have that fatal flaw. It was only half done too. Don't forget. It was two thirds done. Two thirds. Three it quarters. Was, yeah. It was pretty much, 
pretty much, it was fully operational. It was. It was fully operational. <laughs> yeah. So that's like, uh, that's like musicians. You have your whole life to write your first album. You have a year to write your second album. And it better be not terrible. Exactly. Right. <laughs> All right. Well, anyways, uh, bottom line is I think The Last Jedi is a great movie, a great Star Wars movie, certainly worthy of, uh, of praise. And it just took me two viewings to figure that right. out. I look forward to a second viewing. I definitely, definitely want to see this again. I'd like to see it again in the theater. Uh, I assume that it's going to be around in the theater for a little while longer. So uh, maybe in the next couple of weeks, we'll go see it. I'm sure. I'm sure it will be. It's made over $500 million. So uh, they probably, well, probably want to suck in a little bit more if they can. Yeah. Um, and I think it's important to realize that I don't just nitpick The Walking Dead. <laughs> I nitpick everything. I nitpick Star Wars for crying out loud. Yeah, man. How did those bombs fall straight down? Why didn't they just call someone to jump in front of them? I mean, maybe exactly. everyone else was busy. <laughs> exactly. Right. And how did he get blue milk to friggin' Tatooine from other strange planets? Yeah. Do they, do they import the weird cow things? Maybe they just ship those cow maybe, things all over maybe the Maybe they farm them all over the galaxy, man. I mean... There's all kinds of stuff going on. That was the whole point of the casino planet to show us that, you know, all we see is this conflict between the, the first order and the resistance or the rebels and the empire. But there's a whole galaxy of other people just going about their lives and going to casinos yeah. and farming moisture and stuff like that. That's like episode one. I mean, uh, Qui-Gon Jinn and that's his name. And uh, Obi-Wan were there to help uh, negotiate a trade, trade agreement with, between the Trade Federation and... Uh, Damn it. And What's her name's planet? What's the name of that planet? Nab the planet Jar Jar is from. Naboo, isn't it? Naboo, that's it. Yeah. Stupid name. Lucas. <laughs> Makes me sad. Well, I don't remember. God rest his soul. Yeah, yeah. He's not dead. I know, but whatever. <laughs> He's dead to me. <laughs> uh, okay, that's it for Star Wars. If you haven't seen it, well, I don't know why you listen to this, but go see it. <laughs> and uh, if you have, go see it again, because it's, it's, uh, it's a really fine, fine movie. We're going to take a really quick break, and when we come back, we're going to do a little bit of listener feedback. But that Star Wars took a lot longer than I expected, so uh, we'll see how this goes. We'll be right back after this. Jason, what I, I wanted to talk about Patreon really quick here, uh, cool. something we haven't really talked about in a while. But if you go to patreon.com slash the talking dead, you can give, um, create a monthly pledge, a small monthly pledge to help out with the podcast here and all the costs that are involved in hosting and delivering the files and recording and stuff like that. And there are a few different reward levels for now on there that uh, can get you some stuff like stickers or a shout out on the show. And I think for the relaunch of uh, season eight, or I mean, when season eight returns for the second half, I might rework some of those. So uh, we'll talk about that 
in the future on a future episode. But for now, I wanted to just say a big thanks to everyone that has pledged on Patreon and specifically right now, Sam James, who pledged at the $5 level. And he asked us to give a shout out to a zombie series that he has been writing. Uh, Sam says, I illustrate the dialogue. I illustrate the dialogue in the series with screenshots I take myself from the game, The Sims 3. So not only do I write it all, I design, create, and direct it from the ground up. It's bloody difficult and at times tedious work, but I'm really excited about the story I'm telling and I plan to carry on. So Sims 3. Well, that's the game he uses. He he acts out his uh, story in game. Um, and the story he's telling is called The Last Ones, and you can find Sam's story at thelastones.co.uk. So uh, thank you so much, Sam, for doing that, and I hope some people go check out your uh, your creative work there. But if you want to find out more about how you can help out the podcast like Sam did, visit patreon.com slash thetalkingdead. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash thetalkingdead. And uh, check out our page and make a small monthly pledge if you can. And we really appreciate, of course, everyone that listens and everyone who does that. So thank you to everyone. It helps out a great deal. Cool. Listener feedback. All righty. Let's go through some listener feedback. Jason, I tried to focus on uh, calls this time because uh, when we did feedback for the mid-season finale, I had to arrange it on a plane and I wasn't able to listen to many of the calls at the time. So we are going to start with a bunch of calls here. That kind of sounds like uh, snakes on a plane. You had to arrange it on a plane. I had to arrange on a plane. That's right. Yeah. Uh, Funny. Good stuff. We're going to start here with a call from Sam. Hey there, Jason and Chris. This is Sam from Decatur, Georgia. This season has taken place over, or this half season has taken place over like two days. And the last two and a half seasons, so six, seven, and the first half of eight, have taken place over, as far as I can tell, like less than a month. And uh, there are just some things, like we've never had this little time pass over so many seasons in the show. I don't think it has any precedent so far. Um, And it's just really making it difficult to understand some of these characters' motivations when some of the things that they're mad about happened in our universe like two years ago at this point. Uh, maybe only a few days, maybe only like a couple of weeks in their universe. But it just, you know, some of these, uh, some of the immediacy, some of the urgency of whatever it is that's driving their anger, it diminishes over time. And... You know, they're still all amped up. I'm like, what the fuck is Tara so mad about? And I forget that, you know, probably in the show, uh, Denise is probably, like, her body is still probably warm in the show. But, like, it feels, again, like it was a decade ago when Dwight killed her. Um, I don't know. Perhaps I'm just looking too much into it, but uh, I just wanted to put that out there and listen to you guys discuss it. All right, thanks for the podcast, y'all. All right, thanks, Sam. So this idea, Jason, is something that I have thought about before and struggled with a little bit before, that there is so little time passing on the in-show universe, yet, of course, time passes at one second per second in the real world, as you've said before. And mm-hmm. like Sam pointed out, like two years ago, something happened in our world 
but it was only days or at most weeks ago in show. And it can be difficult for us watching the show to sort of identify with the emotions that the characters are feeling because it should be so fresh to them. Yet for us, it's so, so not fresh or <laughs> the opposite of fresh. So stale and, and it can be hard. So do you think that kind of disparity in the time frame hurts the show or is it a problem? Is it a problem with, with us like the viewers? Uh, I think it's both. Uh, I think it's it's very difficult to hold on to that information in our little brains over the course of two or three years, uh, because the writers know that, right? They know what the motivations are. They know what happens. They have charts that uh, indicate what has happened to what character at what time and how long ago. Right. Uh, they know what's going on. So it's difficult for us to hold that information in our little minds, and therefore. Uh, it hurts the show because we can't hold that information for that long. It uh, it has to be, they have to remind us. And uh, as soon as they do remind us, then we shit all over the show for telling us information that we already know. <laughs> so it's really a no-win situation. So the only thing that you can do to alleviate this is uh, have more time pass in the show so that Carl doesn't age three years in the, uh, the two or three weeks since we uh, uh, got to Alexandria. Yeah. I I used to have this problem with shows taking long breaks in between seasons, right? Where you'd, you'd finish one season and then the next season didn't come back for 18 months or whatever it is. Maybe that's an extreme example, but there were times when shows weren't coming back for a year later, right? I think Breaking Bad might have done it at the end. Mid-season, or a year and a half. Yeah, Mad Men, maybe, I think. Yeah. And someone said to me... um, I don't know what something like anticipation turns into indifference rather quickly and and the longer it goes that can happen and i so i used to think about that a lot but this is a slightly different problem where the show is on every year and obviously we take this summer off but that's not uncommon yet there we're expected to sympathize with characters who are behaving and feeling in certain ways based on things that happened to them like just recently even though for us it was so long ago so i think it's a tough situation like you said and i don't know if the only solution is to make more time pass in the show but it certainly feels like something that would work and if they're going to make each season only over the span of two or three days Maybe they need to do a better job of kind of wrapping things up internally in a season and then starting something fresh in the next one. Yeah. Which they or haven't. Give us, sorry. Give us cue cards. Or, yeah, that's right. <laughs> give us cue cards. Let us into the writer's room. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, you know, tell us to take notes because it's important and we're going to be tested on it. Yeah, that's right. Keep track of this. You're going to need to know this, everybody. Yeah. Um, so... So I don't know. Uh, it's a tough call, but I can see what Sam is saying. Yeah. Thank you, Sam, for that. Uh, next call is Chris. Hey, Chris and Jason. This is Chris in Virginia. And I had a couple of thoughts about the mid-season finale. First is I think Michonne is going to be the next to die after what we saw happen with Carl in the mid-season finale. And I think that because of the flash forward and everybody had said how old Rick looks but Michonne hadn't changed at all, and 
Carl hadn't really changed either, so my thought was that that flash forward is with Carl and Michonne in it as kind of ghosts of Rick's memory at the last point that they were alive, because even Judith was older. So I think Michonne's going to be the next to go. Okay, guys. Uh, guys, what's wrong with me? Okay, guys, love the <laughs> podcast. Thanks. <laughs> Bye. Thank you, Chris. Uh, do you think Michonne's going to die? Yeah, Carl's going to bite her. Carl is going to bite her. He's going to die in that sewer and he's just going to lunge up and bite her and they'll both die together. No, he'll do it while he's alive. He's like, fuck you. I'm going to take you out with me. Wow, that's harsh, man. He's gonna, yeah, he's going to turn. He's going to turn hard. I don't know. But I think the idea is Carl is now dying in his current form as far as we know. And since old Rick saw Carl and Michonne kind of looking like they do currently, that's a that's a bad sign for Michonne. Yeah, he couldn't give a shit about Lori either, too. <laughs> She's no, not well, there. <laughs> he's moved on. He's got a new lady. <laughs> yeah. So, I don't know, uh, Chris in Virginia, we will have to see, but you could be onto something there. All right, next up is Adam. Well, Chris, Jason, it is with great sadness that after eight and a half years, I simply have to give up on The Walking Dead. This is too much the show has gone too far and deviated too much from the comics the death of carl is completely unacceptable and i'm coming to terms with this for many of us as homer simpson said the walking dead was a friend a brother and oftentimes a secret lover but no longer (laughs) no longer can i watch a show that is so far deviated from its source material. I don't know where the show can go from here. The comic, the story, everything is Carl's story, and it's all downhill from here. I'm no longer watching the show. I'll continue to listen to your podcast because the entertainment value is just absolutely amazing. But as for the Walking Dead television show, that's it. It's over. I'm done. Keep up the good work, fellas. All right. Thank you, Adam. I have three things. Well, two things to say about that off the top. First, for the first half of that call, it kind of sounds like Adam is running a bath. And then in the middle, (laughs) he turns the water off. So I I wished we'd we'd heard heard the water go off and then hear him like step into the bath or something. That would have been hilarious. (laughs) So uh, next time, Adam. (laughs) Um, And the second one was, what was the second thing? I don't know. Adam, uh, for me, Adam, as soon as you started talking, I knew where you were going yeah. because of the uh, the forlorn, pure sadness in your voice. And uh, it's breaking my heart that you're, uh, you're going to quit the show. I'm glad you're going to keep listening to the podcast, uh, but uh, it's, it's sad because the show has uh, uh, gone far in uh, terms of people quitting the show. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people that are quitting the show. I yeah. mean, if the, if the ratings numbers are any indication, people are quitting the show. And it makes me sad uh, that uh, that you're also quitting the show. Uh, I understand, but I feel bad. And the sadness in your voice breaks my heart. Yeah, it's true. The second thing I was going to say is that he said something about the entertainment quality of our show is still very high, which I'd like to say thank you, but come on. 
<laughs> can't be up there that much. <laughs> but I appreciate the sentiment. Uh, but I agree with with you, Jason, that he just he just sounds bummed out about the whole thing, and I get that. And um, what have you said before in the past that keep watching the show and and listen and participate in the podcast here as a yeah. as a support group? If you have, we'll to. be a support group. We'll all band together and. Uh... You know, we'll support each other in these, these tough times. And, and when it's bad, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it and we'll support each other. And when it's good, which it still is sometimes, we'll talk about that too and, yeah. uh, and celebrate the show. So, uh, I hope Adam, you can stick with it, but if not, glad to hear you're going to continue to tune in. Well, in, and also in reality, the show's not going anywhere. Like it's not going to like, they're not, it's not the 1950s where the show airs and then it's gone. True. Right? It's still going to be there. If it ever, uh, you know, in your mind gets better and that, uh, you know, you might be able to come back to it someday, you could just binge watch and catch up on a weekend. There you go, you man. No, just get her done. You know, get all caught up, get through it, you know, uh, grab your favorite drink, smoke your favorite smoke, sit down, <laughs> give, work your way through that. And once you're done, you never have to watch them again, but you'll be all caught up. And then we can just move into the, uh, into the glory of the show in future years together. Sounds good. Sounds like a plan. Or it watch does. Fear the Walking Dead, which uh, was great in season three. Yeah, you can do that too. All right. There's, there's lots of good content out there. There's so much good TV. Oh, there's there's never ending good TV. Black Mirror's back and it's good. It's scary good. What I've seen so far anyways. Yeah, me too. We should do another podcast on Black Mirror someday. All right, next call. Another one from a guy named Chris. Hi, Chris and Jason. Uh, my name's Chris from Newcastle, UK. Uh, three words to summarize this half season. Tedious, repetitious, pointless. I think there's been some decent episodes, particularly the first and last, but just uh, way too much constant battles, gunfire, um, arguments over killing people versus saving them, which had uh, Jesus fighting Morgan, Rick fighting Daryl, Maggie arguing with uh, Jesus, Carl arguing with Rick, all over the same point, basically. Uh, we had scenes where characters seemingly just needed some screen time, which uh, I think Chris pointed out. So Rosita and Michonne agreeing to do something, only to back out at the last minute and go home. Uh, both of them doing exactly the same thing. We had Rick basically repeating his scenes with the uh, the stupid alien garbage people, uh, right down to the same fight with the helmet zombie. And the whole half season seemed to reset itself back to season seven with the saviors on top, our heroes having to regroup and come up with a plan. So, you know, what was the point exactly? Uh, my highlight has been Negan, uh, surprisingly. Uh, lots of dialogue, character development from kind of being menacing in his meetings uh, to intimate with Father Gabe. The scene with Carl at the gates of Alexandria where you kind of went from condescending, you know, the whole uh, answering the door like a big boy. To kind of incredulity, where Carl offered himself uh, to be killed as a sacrifice, to kind of paternal concern, I think, and pathos, and then being completely pissed off uh, at being duped. So nice work from uh, Jeffrey Dean Morgan. But all in all, I think, tedious, repetitious, pointless, and those are things I could never accuse you guys of being. Uh, keep up the amazing work. Cheers. Thank you, Chris. Uh, so two things about Chris's call. 
I agree with him that, believe it or not, Negan was one of my favorite parts about this first half season, and I could not have said that in season seven. That's crazy. I know. I think the Negan episode with him stuck in the trailer with Father Gabe was one of my favorite episodes of the first eight. I think JDM did a fantastic job. I think uh, Father Gabe was great in that scene, as in, in that whole episode as well. There were little nitpicks with it, like how they got inside the compound once they were at the staircase. But, you know, that was one of those things they yada yada over which uh, they shouldn't have done. But overall, I thought that episode was really good. Um, But what about the idea that the the first eight episodes were in a way a little bit pointless because we ended up at a place where the exact same place we started? Is that an acceptable outcome, Jason, after eight episodes? Or is it an important part of the journey to the end, do you think? Well, it seems to be an acceptable outcome for my life every now and again. <laughs> you just, you work hard, you move forward, and you end up in the same goddamn place you were last year. <laughs> well, so I think it's pretty normal in reality, but, you know, this is not reality. This is storytelling. Mm-hmm. So uh, is that acceptable? Uh, maybe as a storytelling device, it's on purpose. See, I think it might be okay. It's I can understand the frustration with it. I don't know if I'd go as far as to say it's pointless because there are things there that are going to affect the characters and the way they do things and the way they see things and the way they understand everything. For example, Carl, Carl getting bit and most likely dying. That's going to affect Rick and Michonne and probably everybody in a profound way. But that was one scene at the very end of the final episode, which was pretty unrelated to the bigger storyline. Now, I think it's the first time that that happened. I think it's going to, uh, I think it's going to factor into that bigger storyline in the episode nine, 10, whatever. Um, But I, but as it stands right now, it's sort of, feels unrelated a little bit, but yeah. I don't think it's pointless to have that in there because of the way it's going to, you know, affect the other characters. Um, so, you know, I can see Chris's point, but I'm hoping that it all works out in the end is what I'm saying. <laughs> Hope so. You know? Yeah. It does feel like we're it's a bit same here. Like we've come in a big circle and we're back to where we were, but hopefully there's a reason for that. Yeah, and and characters struggling with kind of the same things they've always struggled with. I guess that's just the nature of the beast a little bit, right? Some things you just don't get over, and depending on your experiences and the people you meet and what happens to you in life, you may experience the same emotional struggles of killing people versus not killing people or the different arguments and fights we've had on the show. So, um as much as I would like them to mix it up a little bit and try to introduce some new emotional or internal conflicts in these characters, I think we're just going to have to accept the fact that sometimes we're going to see the same ones, not because they're rehashing them, but because the characters are genuinely reevaluating the way they feel about things. And that's a pretty realistic thing too, I think. Yeah. So it is. All right. Uh, moving right along here. We got another call from Reese. Hi, Chris and Jason. I was just ringing up to say that I was thinking a lot about this particular part in the um, mid-season finale. That sounds weird. Um, but 
bit that got me thinking the most was when Carl was talking to Negan up on the wall. It really seemed like Carl was actually getting through to Negan just for a split second. Um, and I think the reason of that was is because Negan said that he worked with kids like uh, I'm guessing like um, problem kids and stuff. Um, I think that maybe he has that weird rapport with Carl and we saw it a little bit in the previous season when he was in um, the room with him before when he took him to tell him, you know, tell your, take your eye patch off and all that sort of stuff. So I'm kind of thinking that maybe he actually slightly got through to him when he said to him about, you know, you don't want to be this person and stuff. And it was kind of just weird to see that moment of weakness in him. And I also kind of wonder how that conversation would have, you know, carried out if he could have kept it going or whatever. But yeah, I want to see what your thoughts are on that. And uh, yeah, that's it, guys. Thank you. Bye. Thanks, Reese. Um, I do think Carl and Negan have an interesting relationship, certainly more than anyone uh, else on the show with Negan. And it's because Negan did work with kids in his sort of past life. From what I know of Negan's backstory, he was a high school gym teacher. Of course he was. Of course he was. He carries a baseball bat. Yeah, there you go. Um I'm 99% sure, so if I'm mistaken on that, I did read the Here's Negan backstory comic, uh, Gym Teacher, I think it was. Anyways, it was something like that, and so he has a history of working with kids, Carl's age, uh, and, and I think Negan even now sort of sees Carl as this just interesting kid who I guess he was hoping to turn over to his way of seeing things. Seeing things, get it? He only has one eye. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hilarious. <laughs> he has an interesting way of seeing things in two dimensions. He does. Or, <laughs> uh, yeah, in two dimensions. So, uh, anyways, that's, all of this is also one of the reasons I think that uh, whatever Scott Gimple meant about Carl's story not really being over or Carl having an impact on the story going forward I think that directly means there's going to be something between Carl and Negan, and hopefully it's not just uh, ghost Jedi Carl appearing to Negan once in a while to give him advice. Well, I hope not. I hope it's more of a zombie Carl giving uh, appearing uh, from beyond the grave to, to give him bites. Well, something like that. We will see. <laughs> uh, all right. Anything else about Carl and Negan before we do our last call here? Uh, I agree that they do have a rapport, and I. Uh, it's interesting to to hear that uh, Negan was a uh, high school gym teacher. Spoiler alert! Yeah, I hadn't read the backstory. Well, I'm sorry about that. Uh, but that's okay. There's lots of things like that are happening in the comic book that uh, I learned about. That uh, and just to be clear, Carl doesn't get bitten in the comic. Uh, he does not. Well, I mean. Okay not yet <laughs> crap man i can't i can't say that can't about... answer that okay well that's fine i he mean either gets bitten doesn't get bitten hasn't been bitten yet or has already been bitten but nobody knows about it one of those four things might be true <laughs> might be true and or he's in a universe that may or may not contain zombies there that could be true or not as well right so I, I'm trying not to spoil the uh, comic. Yeah. All right, that's fine. I, um, I asked a very specific question and I probably shouldn't have. Yes. However, I mean, it's it's pretty common knowledge out there that, uh, you know, Carl does play a big part in the comic and he 
if Carl is dead in the comic now, he certainly doesn't go out the way he does or is appear to be going out in the TV show. Carl is a character in the television show and the comic book at the beginning. That's right. Of both. <laughs> of both. <laughs> and we'll have to see about the end. Yes. <laughs> oh, All that's... will become clear in the fullness of time. I hope this last two minutes doesn't get us in trouble. Sorry, everyone, if it does. All right. One more call here from Tracy. Hi, this is Tracy from Ohio. Um, I'm calling about the Carl getting bit by a zombie and thinking that they might find a way for him to survive that. So everybody's shocked. He's obviously going to die under current, you know, protocol, except that he's infected, but so was Gabe. Gabe was infected with zombie gore and he got sick from that and then he's recovering. Well, now we have a situation where Gabe and a doctor are both leaving the Savior's compound. Now, Gabe would have had, you know, antigens or whatever built up inside his immune system because he's recovering from that bite. My guess is they're going to fake us out to make us think that Carl is going to die, but then they're going to take Gabe's blood or pus or whatever and inoculate it into Carl so that Carl will then have the built up immunity that um, Gabe now has. So that's my guess. I'm thinking they're actually probably not going to kill off Carl unless Carl, the actor, is set to go to a sudden, another show somewhere. I think they're going to pull one over on us. Thanks, Tracy. So first of all, inject pus into someone. That is possibly the grossest thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> uh, yeah, they probably it's, do that now. I it's mean, up there. They get all medicine and stuff from all kinds of crazy places. I guess so. They pull vitamin C from tar. Yeah. And the vitamin C that you take in pill form, it does not come from oranges. Well, they extract it from tar. Delicious. I'll just eat oranges <laughs> from now on. Good plan. Okay. But I wanted to play Tracy's call because I feel like we didn't really talk about what's going on with Father Gabe very much. He covered himself in gore and then got really sick. Now, we've seen characters get sick on the show before, just like with the flu, basically, back at the prison, remember? Yep. But that's different than getting bitten by a zombie and therefore, like, triggering the virus that you already have inside you um, to enhance the infection and kill you. So... What the hell is going on with Father Gabe? Did he actually get, does he have some unrelated illness or is he sick because he ingested zombie gore somehow? And if so, how come we haven't really seen that before? Okay, so there's a big difference between your digestive system and your circula circulatory system. True. Right? And, uh, you know, having something cross the barrier between your digestive system into your circulatory system is a complex process that uh, your body takes great pains to prevent crap from going in there. Right. So if he covered himself in gore and swallowed it, there's a whole system in place to try and break that shit down before it gets into your bloodstream. There's, you know, your saliva, stomach acids, all that kind of stuff. There's the uh, the barriers that the nutrients cross in your bowels and all that kind of crap. Yep. In your bowels, get it? Crap in your bowels? Anyway. Um, <clears throat> so if he swallowed it, he may not have gotten a as bad an infection as he would have gotten from a bite. Right. Because a bite goes directly into your bloodstream. None of that friggin' fancy stomach acid is going to break that shit down. It's going to go right into your circulatory system, which is going to infect you. You're going to get fever. You're going to die. You're going to become a zombie. So maybe if he swallowed gore, he might have gotten a version of the sickness where he can recover from it 
relatively easily. Uh, also, he might have just swallowed good old-fashioned shit, and that'd make you sick, too. It's true. Right? Every time I so, swallow shit, I get sick, yeah. Well, yeah. Or, yeah. you know, even old cheese. You like cheese. Have you ever eaten cheese that is so old that it makes you sick? Um... I, don't, I have. I don't think so, but I know <laughs> it it's a possibility. It was in the shape of a lasagna. And I don't even mean that it was in the form of a lasagna. <laughs> it was in the shape of a lasagna. I should not have eaten that lasagna. Okay. <laughs> I got so sick from that. So if I had put that cheese directly into my bloodstream, I would have died. Jeez. Okay. So there's a huge difference, obviously. <laughs> yes. Big difference. So, but, so okay, continue. Uh, I guess all I'm saying is that... Uh, well, there's two things here. One, Father Gabe, uh, we don't know what made him sick. It could have been just a good old-fashioned, swallowed a mouthful of feces. Uh, it could have been he swallowed a mouthful of zombie gore that uh, his body was able to fight off because of the help of the systems in place to deal with that when you swallow it. If he got it into his eyes, that kind of goes into your bloodstream as well. If he had cuts on his hand and he got it in there, that could work too, even though blood flows out of your body. Uh, in an attempt to try and prevent crap from going in. Like when you cut yourself, your your body's under pressure, right? Yeah, yeah. And the blood flows out so that the, you don't get crap in the cut that goes into your bloodstream. It's actually kind of hard to do. Uh, but you can't do it if you, you, you're taking gore and you're smashing it into your cut. You're, you're going to get some in your bloodstream. Sure. So he might not have been uh, as sick as he would have been from a bite or like Carl is going to be from a bite. If they used Father Gabe's pus or blood or bile or eye fluid or anything to save Carl's life, I'm going to rage quit the show. That is fucking <laughs> bullshit. They, Carl needs to die. He has to die. Don't fuck with us. He got bitten. He needs to die. Well, they have I think to... it needs to be dramatic yeah. and powerful, but that son of a bitch needs to die. It's, and, and that's the only reason for that is that they need to follow their own internal rules and logic and getting bit means you get a bad infection and you die. And if they're changing that on us, it's going to piss me off too. But the whole thing is I never really considered what is going on with Father Gabe story-wise. Like, why is he so sick? Is it just so that he could hang around the sanctuary for a little while and have his influence on Eugene? Because he doesn't really need to be sick to do that. He just needs to be a prisoner to do that, which he is anyways. But is he sick because he needs to be treated by a doctor and they're trying to get the doctor out of the sanctuary? Therefore, it makes sense that he would leave with Father Gabe because he needs that treatment. Otherwise, they could just let, you know, Eugene could just let Father Gabe go on his own and the doctor would be none the wiser. Right. Um, so is he sick? Not in a way that's going to kill him. I don't think that never occurred to me, to be honest. I don't think he's sick with the same kind of infection that you get from a bite and pretty much all and, and always die from unless you can cut off a limb. So I think the whole point is just to get the doctor out. And then I started thinking, what's the point of getting the doctor out? Well, the doctor needs to get to Alexandria to treat Carl because even though Carl is going to die, he's going to survive a little bit longer because he is treated by a professional doctor. He also needs to get out to help Maggie. Well, he needs to get out to help Maggie for sure, but that doesn't seem like quite as an immediate uh, thing, right? Sure, she's they not even showing. She's not even showing. And 
women gave birth without medical assistance for thousands of years, right? For at least 20 years. At least 20 years. Yeah. Um, so sure. They he's, died a lot, by the way. Oh, I know. That happened. Fair yeah, enough. There was a lot of them that just died because something small was wrong and then everybody no, died. Fair enough. I, I get it. That's, and that's terrible and tragic, but the human race survived and, you know. Generally. Yeah. Generally. <laughs> Maybe not for the best, but whatever. Whatever. Different, uh, <laughs> different concept there. Um, but sure, he may be going to, I'm sure he'll help Maggie in the end if he lives that long. But I think in the, um, in the short term, they wanted the doctor out of the sanctuary to treat Carl so Carl could survive a little longer than usual to fulfill his destiny, whatever that may be. And I feel like that's where the story is going. So I don't think Father Gabe is in any danger of actually dying, at least not from the sickness he has. But the whole point was to get the doctor out to treat Carl so that Carl could do something important before he goes down. Um, but I don't think Carl is going to live. And if he does, because Father Gabe is some sort of, has miracle blood, yeah, I'm going to be pretty pissed. Yeah. I'm going to have to rage quit the show. I'll still do the podcast. I'm not going to quit the podcast, but I'm not watching the show. Good. You'll have to describe it to me. It's <laughs> kind of what I do anyways, remember? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so, um, and then I'll ask questions instead of making comments. <laughs> sure. So wait a minute. You'll be like, this happened? <laughs> well, you got to be kidding me. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, okay. So uh, the, the whole point is, why is Father Gabe sick? How does his sickness move the plot forward? Is it uh, to save Carl? I hope not. Or just to get the doctor out of the sanctuary? And I'm saying it's just to get the doctor out. Okay. Hopefully that's true. Or it might not mean anything at all. It's just like, oh, let's make Father Gabe sick. He's got to have something to do, right? Well, everything has to mean something. It's like, why make him sick if that's not the case? So. Yeah, don't show it on TV if it doesn't mean something in the plot. Exactly. Or the story. That's, or I think character that, development or I, something. I think that's a good rule. Yeah. <laughs> right? Uh, so here's another email from, uh, or here's an email. We're out of calls now. This comes from Drew from that place over there. You know the place, don't you? Of course. That's, that's what he wrote. A, yeah, that's where that, yeah, where Drew is from. Of course. Uh, now, Drew sent us a list of ways Carl could survive this bite and I've removed one due to spoilers. So, uh, Oh, okay. Uh, here Comic are spoilers or star Wars spoilers, uh, not star Wars spoilers. So I'm going to say some sort of walking dead potential spoiler comic or TV show related. Okay. Uh, Drew writes number one, Carl is immune to Walker bites. Number two, Carl fell on some dentures that were on the ground. Oh, yeah, that happened. Of course. That number, happens to all kinds of people. Number three, removed. Number four, he got a realistic-looking tattoo that looks like a bite. <laughs> Smart. <laughs> number, f number five. He's such a rebel. Yeah, I know. Such a rebel. Did I say number four? That was number four. Number five, Enid likes to bite Carl. Maybe he likes it, too. I've been bitten by somebody before. It's not fun. All right, like well. Like breaking the skin, bitten by someone. To each his own. Yeah, it, it is not my thing. I can tell you that. And, and number six, Carl had Sadiq bite him to prank Rick. <laughs> and Drew finishes with, thanks, I'll see myself out. <laughs> so those Psych. are all, yeah, those are all Drew's crazy ways uh, that Carl could survive this bite. None of which, I may point out, involve injecting the pus of another character into him. Uh, only, you know, it depends on how how hardcore he's willing to go with his prank. Uh, Yeah. <laughs> could be <laughs> gross 
gross. I like uh, the tattoo idea. I like the prank idea. Uh, fell on the some dentures. The idea is dumb because we don't have that in the show yet. I don't think anybody's been immune to walker bites or even has claimed to be immune. I no, think. I mean, people born post zombie apocalypse, such as uh, Judith, we don't yep. know about. Um, but who knows? That's the only True. possibility there, right? I don't know. Well, they should leave her out in the field to get bitten just to do trials. They have another baby. <laughs> this one doesn't work out. We got another one. We found it. <laughs> we, we, I yeah, stole we her. We found it. We just found it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all right. So let's see. Um, Melissa in Maryland writes in on a slightly more serious topic. Uh, what do you think about the idea that Carl is being killed off because Chandler Riggs's father was becoming a problem? It's been reported that he runs a shady tourism experience related to, but not endorsed by, the show, and was publicly manipulative during salary negotiation time last year by making posts on social media making it seem like Chandler was quitting. His current outburst about never having liked or trusted AMC or Scott Gimple reflects a not-so-professional persona. If this is how he acts in public, what else may have been going on behind the scenes? Perhaps it was becoming a liability for the show or AMC, and it planted the seeds of the whole plot. Until now, Gimple has been pretty tied to the comic, and his plot and this plot twist is so off the wall that I can't help but think something pushed his hand. So I hate to do this, but the first thing I need to say here is that Melissa's views do not necessarily reflect the, view, the views of this podcast, uh, but I do think they are interesting fodder for discussion. What I mean by that is, you know, I don't know anything about Chandler Riggs' father's uh, tourism experience and whether it's shady or not or what he's doing, so I don't have any any comments on that. Well, I hope they're not just stuck out in the hot sun the whole time. I mean, I hope there's some shade yeah. in whatever tourism uh, venture he's got going. Yeah, fair enough. I hope there's like, some shade. Handled umbrellas, something. something. I mean, it's like hot that. down there. It's really hot, yeah. Um, and I also don't know anything about public comments he made during salary negotiations, so I don't really have an opinion on that. However, um, I wonder, I mean, if this, if any of this has any merit to it, you know, I hope that kind of thing is not influencing the the show or the story they're telling, because Melissa's last point here about Gimple usually being very tied closely to the comic is true. And this is the kind of thing that veers pretty far away from the comics. So what's the reason for that? Is it just him trying to mix things up or is there some sort of external pressure? I don't know. Well, this kind of thing has happened before. Um how uh, how deep is your knowledge of Three's Company? I don't think it's as deep as yours. <laughs> <laughs> so Suzanne Summers was the original, uh, you know, the blonde character on the show. Uh, she was Chrissy. Yeah. It was Jack, Janet, and Chrissy. Yeah. So Suzanne Summers was uh, gaining a lot of popularity, and she started, uh, you know, demanding more and more screen time, more and more lines, higher salary. She wanted more money than Jack or Janet. Uh, she started becoming a, uh, and her, mainly it was her and her, her manager were becoming more of a problem uh, behind the scenes. She was great in the show. Everybody loved her. Uh, her loved her character. Uh, and all of that, but it, it got to the point where they basically said, yeah, we're pulling you from the show. 
Like they pulled her from the show and they sent her character off to, to take care of a sick aunt. And she would be on the phone at the end of every episode talking to Jack or Janet just to keep her on the show because that was part of her contract. She did all of those scenes without any other actors. And the other actors did their half of the scenes uh, without uh, Suzanne Summers anywhere near. And then they brought in uh, other, you remember they replaced, uh, they brought in other characters. Like there was... Uh, uh, trying to remember her name. Yeah. Did they bring uh, so in they, Terry? So they brought in, what's that? Well, was the, was her replacement Terry? I'm just looking at the cast Terry. Yeah. There was Terry. There was also another one. Helen? Uh, uh, I'm not sure. But anyway, they repl- eventually they replaced her character completely after her contract ran out. Yeah. But it, the reason she was written off the show was not because the actress wanted to move on. It was not because of uh, the story of the show. It was because uh, Suzanne Summers became a pain in the ass. Mm. So this thing is not abnormal for, te- it's, it's hard because, you know, we all loved Christmas snow. That was her character's full name on the show. I don't know if you know that. Didn't know that. It wasn't just, it wasn't just Christmas, Chrissy. It was Christmas <laughs> snow. That was her, that was her full name. Okay. Uh, so everybody loved her on that show, the character, but, uh, because of the actress and her management, uh, team were becoming more, more, more and more of a pain. She eventually got, uh, taken off the show and the show was successful after that. Sure. Like there was a number of years that, uh, the show just, you know, went on. We went through the Ropers and Mr. Furley. You remember Mr. Furley? Of course. Of course. Don Knotts. Yes. Good times. Oh, there was Larry, the, the next door neighbor. Yeah, that's a good show. That should they should put that on Netflix. So what you're saying is there's precedent for this kind of thing happening and... It would suck that yeah. uh, Chandler Riggs' dad being uh, who he is. And if he is doing this stuff, I don't know anything about him, like you said. Uh, but if it's pissing off people that he's doing this stuff, that very well could mean writing him off the show because of, uh, uh, you know, shit that's going on behind the scenes. Yeah. and And that's how I feel. It'll be really... Too bad if that's the case, but I don't really know anything about what Chandler Riggs' dad is doing, if anything. Um, And if it screws up, but if it does screw up the show or the story, that sucks. And uh, I don't know. I don't know what else to say about that. So, but thanks, Melissa, for writing that in. Uh, Let's read an email here from Felicia in Wyoming. Felicia writes, there was an email on the last feedback show about how you could have switched the Jesus and Morgan standpoints letting the saviors live or die. I disagree with that. I don't think you could switch these two characters' viewpoints. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't believe we've ever seen Jesus behave violently towards other people without very good cause. For example, when we meet Jesus, he could have hurt Rick and Daryl and taken off with all their goods. He didn't, and instead was just sneaky. And for Morgan, we're clearly looking at a guy who has had breaks with reality before, both of the times centered around the loss of a young life. The first time being his son, the second being the young man who was a member of the kingdom. If they'd flipped it, that would have seemed out of character for me, especially for the Morgan we see right now, post-death of a young man that he felt responsible for. So I think Felicia makes a good point, although I'm not entirely convinced that we still couldn't have reversed the viewpoints of these characters and it would have made just as much sense within the show. Mostly, again, because of the Morgan side, because Morgan is the one who has flip-flopped back and forth uh, a couple of times already. But I do take Felicia's point that 
the sort of flip-flop in him is caused by the loss of a um, sort of a child figure to him. In one case, literally his child. And in the second time when Ben, is that his name? Ben was killed by uh, yep. um, the savior jerk with the long straight hair. Um, uh, Jared is his name, I think. God damn. Anyways, you know, and that's, that's sort of what pushed Morgan to uh, change his feelings again. So that does sort of solidify Morgan into that character a little bit again, but I'm not a hundred hundred percent convinced. Right. So, you know, I was thinking about this with, uh, can I spoil Captain America civil war? Okay. Spoilers for Captain America civil war coming up. Everyone, please don't complain. (laughs) So mostly I enjoyed that movie. You've seen the movie. I sure have. It has Captain America and Ant-Man and Spider-Man and, Yes. Uh, Mr. Rogers. No, uh, Iron Man. Yep. Uh, he puts on his, he goes, shows up to work and he puts on his cardigan and his shoes. Same thing. Same thing. Um, so my problem with that movie is that, uh, they could have swapped any of those characters to have the opinion of any of the other characters and it still would have been a civil war and it still would have made just as much sense. And it could have, the plot could have been exactly the same, whatever side they fall on the, uh, that agreement that they were all supposed to sign about having oversight. Uh, it didn't matter which characters did what fell on what side. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think it's a little different, but. Well, they could have swapped out any of those characters and it kind of pissed me off because it's like, who who believes what and why? It doesn't matter. It's just, there's some kind of civil war going on and they fight. I mean, it's all very entertaining, but really they could have swapped any of those characters to have any of the other opinions uh, and it would have been the same movie. Well, I, I, I don't think, I think they chose the right two characters to sort of be the leaders of each side. I think Captain America believing one thing and Tony Stark believing another thing fit within their characters that as we know about them, the rest of them, I agree with you. You could just slot them into either side and it would have made as much sense as you think Tony Stark wants oversight. I think Tony Stark. Well, I think, I think he, well, I think he's willing to accept some oversight, whereas Captain America doesn't he really thinks we are making the the right decisions here and we have to be free to do what we want to do doesn't it make more sense to flip those characters whereas captain america being for truth uh, liberty and the pursuit of happiness in the american way and the the american military having uh you know, political oversight on All what right. they do. Maybe you can and flip them. Captain but- America is, uh, not, not Captain America, but, uh, Iron Man. uh, Tony Iron Man being the, uh, uh, the epitome of, uh, industrial, um, entrepreneurism and yeah, yeah. being a one man band. It okay. makes more sense to flip them for me. Okay. I, I can see your point. It could make more sense to flip them. However, at least they fall on one side. It doesn't, it doesn't there. You can't see it that either could have either side. Maybe, maybe they got it wrong in Captain America civil war, Yeah, but at least the character traits point them in one direction with Jesus and Morgan. I don't think they do. Yeah. I, you know, I think Jesus and Morgan, I, for me, it's more of a Spider-Man Ant-Man kind of situation where, uh, the only reason that they're on the sides that they're on is, uh, they've been, uh, slotted into those 
sides by other people. Someone got to them first. Yeah. This is getting thin. Never mind. (laughs) (laughs) Don't get me started on Ant-Man. Oh, Ant-Man pisses me off. I know. I know. We've been through that before. Uh, Well, anyways, I just wanted to read Felicia's email because I, I do think she makes a good point about Morgan's mentality being influenced by the death of his son first and then the death of Ben later on. And that's an important point, uh, you know, because characters affect each other, just like the death of Carl is going to affect Rick in some way. I just don't think it entirely explains or forgives the fact that that fight was a little bit silly and I still think could have come from from either side. But it does make me feel a little bit better about it because at least there's something there. Whereas when you first mentioned it a couple of weeks ago, my head almost exploded because it was such a scathing, just tear down of these characters that you think, you know, but really they, at the time I thought, boy, they haven't done anything with them. Okay. So so Jesus kind of makes sense when you look at it this way, but Morgan could have fallen, fallen on either one of those sides because he's been on both of those sides before. He has been, but at least what Felicia points out is that his, his switch from side to side is rooted in something. It's caused by something, you know, with Jesus, we don't know him as well. And the other thing is though, you know, she says that we haven't seen Jesus behave violently towards other people without very good cause. I I mean, walking into the satellite station and just randomly killing people until that moment where he decides not to kill a guy, it seems like he's a little bit unsure too. So, you know, it's, it's still up there in the air for me. I, I don't know. Uh, okay, let's do let's do a couple more here and then call it a night. Uh, let's read Mike from Cambridge, Ontario. Mike writes, I had a thought about Eugene's plan with the little glider and speaker. It does seem like a very stupid plan considering Eugene is supposed to be smart, but maybe his plan was just to get evidence that Dwight is the one helping Rick. When he was launching the plane, he had a recorder running. Maybe his plan was just to get Dwight on tape admitting to helping Rick so he has something to save his own skin before he literally gets caught red-handed and branded as the traitor. He backs out of telling Negan about Dwight because he didn't want to do it in front of Dwight, but he has Dwight on tape admitting he's a traitor now as backup in case no one believes him. So what do you think about that? The, the whole glider thing was just a just a ruse to get a tape recorder running so that uh, Dwight would admit to being the traitor because that's what Eugene thought he needed to save his own skin. Okay. So two things, one, that seems a little thin and two, if that's the case, they should tell us. I agree. They should probably tell us um, because it's not really there. As far as we know, he's flying that stupid glider thinking that he's going to lure the zombies away. Yeah. And there's that just, as as we know, that makes no sense at all. Yeah. If you're writing a television show and your character's motivations are a mystery, you're not doing it right. No, you're not doing it right. So I, as much as I like the idea, I don't think that was, that was there in the show. Uh, But you know, if that tape recording comes back and plays a role somehow, I may have to eat my hat because maybe that was the intention all along. Well, in that case, I would recommend wearing a chocolate hat. Ooh, I love a good chocolate hat. <laughs> Don't go out in the sun with it, though. <laughs> yeah, it's winter. It's winter. It'll be fine. Oh, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> uh, very good. Uh, all right, let's do uh, let's do this last one here. Michael in Melbourne, Australia writes: This isn't 
an episode-specific email, but I'd like to get your thoughts around the evolution of the TV series. I believe the show has almost switched genres from a gritty horror drama, seasons one to five, to more of an action drama with a bit of fantasy thrown in, like a CGI tiger and the scavengers, etc. I understand that this direction is most likely dictated by showrunners uh, slash network, etc., but the gradual drop-off in ratings or popularity may be due to traditional horror fans losing interest because of this genre shift. What do you guys think, Jason? That very well could be. It is definitely a different show than when we started. But do you think it's gone from, like, horror drama to action drama? Is that a good way of describing the change? It is. We've had a lot of gunfire in this, this particular season. Yeah. And there's, there's more like action set pieces, maybe more traditional action set pieces now and less kind of, as Michael says, gritty horror type stuff. You know, um, I think back to the way, uh, the way Dale died, you know, just at night being, being attacked by a zombie and it being really scary and, and just, but, but just one zombie against one human um, you could call, you could call Shane's death sort of an action scene, not really, but it was more of a nighttime horror scene where, you know, your best friend stands up as a zombie and you have to shoot him. Um, stuff like that. I don't feel like it happens as much anymore. And now we get big gunfights or kind of marquee boss fights where Rick is fighting, uh zombies super zombies zombies. yeah yeah um so i think michael may have a point here uh yeah there's absolutely uh uh, a shift of some kind in this show going on i don't know if it's necessarily uh you know a straight cut and dried uh uh, genre shift but there definitely is uh definitely is a shift the walking dead has never been about the zombies Right. No, they're they're the backdrop of the human drama that goes on. So that is still holding true. The the show is not about the zombies. It's not. Uh, it's still a backdrop to what's happening. But what's happening uh, is changing from a personal survival uh, apocalypse horror type thing to a uh, a shootout kind of show. Have we had a car chase? Yeah, of course we had the car chase in the last episode, right? Or yeah, well, not the last go. one, the the one where uh, you know Rick and Daryl chasing the guy with the big gun, the penis yeah, gun. Yeah, we've had a car chase with this big penis gun. That's yeah. absolutely correct. Yeah, and that's this yeah, season. So, uh, yeah, okay. So the only thing we're missing now is a song and dance number. <laughs> so it can f- transition completely from a horror drama to a musical comedy. Well, musicals and action. Uh, uh, you know, that the musical genre and the action genre, genre, in my mind, are the same kind of thing. You have plot, 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 exposition, expo- exposition, and then you break into a song and dance number for three minutes. And then when that's over, you go back to plot, 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 storytelling. It's the same thing with an action movie. You have plot, 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 storytelling, and then you have a car chase for three minutes. And then you go back to plot, 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 plot. It's the same damn thing. Right. So I see the transition from uh, action to song and dance, <laughs> musical. <laughs> right. Uh, a very... Th- you know, easy transition. Sure. Well, as to whether that explains the drop off in uh, ratings, I don't know. I don't know if that many people would disappear 
um, all at once like this, but you know, maybe it hasn't really been all at once. And the, the folks that w did really like the sort of personal apocalyptic survival story that you, this used to be aren't as into the show anymore. Now you got to think it might draw in some other new viewers with a tone shift like this, but that's a hard thing to do after seven seasons. It is. Seasons. And I, I remember there being, um, not really a backlash. What do you call it when it, from the outset, people's expectations were, ooh, zombie action. And then they get this show that's more of a not zombie action, more of an interpersonal, like uh, post-apocalyptic survival horror type thing. Some people were annoyed by that. Just like, where's all the zombies? I want, uh, you know, uh, World War Z type zombie uh set pieces yeah. where they, they, they attack the helicopter. Like how the hell can zombies attack a helicopter? Go watch world war Z. They do it. <laughs> Cause they can do it. Yeah. Yeah. So I know there was, there was people that were annoyed by that right at, right from the outset. Yeah, no, you're, you're right. There's always going to be people that are getting into something that uh, doesn't meet their expectations or is not really what they want it to be, you know, sort of like me with the star Wars movie. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, but I was able to watch it again and really, really appreciate it. So, um, you know, I don't know. Uh, the show has made a big change. Uh, it's still good and bad. It's still up and down, has its highs and lows. And uh, I just think people lately have been seeing the lows a little bit more. And that's that's telling. I mean, that's definitely not an invalid opinion. So um, interesting idea, though, just to think about the shift of how the show has changed over the years. And you know what? Shows change and they do. And you may be on board or you may not, you know, shows that last this long and conceivably, although technically, you know, the show has not been renewed for season nine yet officially. Mm. Um, but you got to think that that's going to happen. Uh, but the show has been around a long time now, so it's almost unrealistic to think that it would stay the same the whole time because no show this old does, I don't think. Can you imagine if it just doesn't get renewed and we're all left hanging with, because they've already shot the rest of the second season, second half of the season, right? Done. They have shot season eight. It's, it's shot. I mean, the editing might be ongoing, but it's more or less in the can. Okay. So if they don't renew for an, uh, another season, we get a movie. I assume that they'll like, we got to wrap this shit up. We need a movie. Well, I guess so. You, I mean, Jesus, they can't just let it go after this long. People yeah. burn the place so, down. Yeah. So I, you know, that's okay. Cause you know, Star Trek successfully trans transitioned into uh, a movie franchise. Yep. You know, the, in, the original Star Trek went on a five year mission. They only got three years out of that show before it got canceled. Oh yeah. I mean, sure. There was 12 years between the cancellation of the show and the movie, but you know, eventually it transitioned. So I didn't know that. So with Star Trek, they didn't intend to do that. They just canceled that thing. And then 12 years later, we're like, you know what? Let's try a movie. Well, it started getting into syndication and because uh, syndication oh, was very yeah. popular in the 70s. Uh, and, you know, it was actually gaining in popularity, but the, uh, the actors weren't getting any money. Friggin' William Shatner was living in the uh, uh, a camper uh, at the time. <laughs> Poor guy. And outside Edmonton, out, he'd probably. He'd be sitting on his uh, lawn chair outside the back of his camper in a parking lot and kids would say, hey, it's Captain Kirk. And he'd wave and they'd get back in his camper and go to sleep. And then oh, they man. eventually approached them to do a movie. And look at him now. 
well, you know, he was always a successful actor, right? He was a Shakespearean actor. Sure. So he was working, but, you know, I don't think there's a lot of money in Shakespearean acting, especially in Montreal where he was living at the time because he's from Montreal. Yeah, well, he should have charged people to come up behind his camper and shake his hand. <laughs> oh, God, they make more money from uh, friggin' Comic-Cons than anything else nowadays. Oh, yeah, totally. Good I, Lord. I, but, you know, I... My I'm, point is... They successfully transitioned from TV show to movie franchise. So I think that the uh, the Walking Dead, if it does get shit canned at the end of this season, I think we're going to get a movie. I mean, even Firefly got a movie. It did. Firefly got a movie. God, I love that movie too. Well, yeah. Season nine. Speaking of, of space cowboys, get them out. Firefly, do something. No, same universe. You don't have to have Nathan Fillion. Just. You know, who, who could, who could do Firefly now? We'd have to have somebody. <laughs> That's a whole different question. Recasting Firefly? You just get Nathan Fillion. That guy's still out there. Uh, Stephen Ogg. He Stephen could do Firefly. Ogg. Well, he needs to be in it somehow. I don't know if he's Captain Mal. He but... could be Jane. Yeah, he could be Jane. I, I, totally. I he'd, be, he'd be totally Jane. All, All right, right. Let's cast this sucker. Get, <laughs> get this ball rolling. Let's get it going. Anyways, season nine of The Walking Dead premiering in October of 2018, which is now, which is this year. It is. Uh, it is. For, you know, as far as we know. Anyways. All right. That's uh, going to wrap up this podcast. That was a lot of talk about Star Wars and some more Walking Dead. So um, thank you so much for doing this, Jason, and for uh, everyone for tuning in. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can visit our website at talkingdeadpodcast at dot uh, com talking is the website the email address is talking at gmail.com i gotta keep those things straight sure you can also find us on twitter at talking dead or on facebook at facebook.com slash the talking dead visit our patreon page if you have a second at patreon.com slash the talking dead and um what's gonna happen now we should probably record another podcast in the next couple of weeks i do think we should talk about the final book in Jay Bonansinga's series of novels. Did I read that yet? No. Oh. So you're going to have to get on that. We've. I own it. On, I bought it on Audible as soon as it was available. I just haven't listened to it yet. All right. Get get on that, and we'll talk about when uh, when we're going to do that. Um, I'm actually going to Chicago in a couple of weeks, so I'm going to try to have lunch with Jay while I'm there. Nice. Um, and and in his mansion, you're going to go to his mansion. I assume he has a mansion. <laughs> all authors are rich, right? Oh, of course. Yeah, all the yeah. all the uh, marginally successful ones. Not, yeah, I, I that just sounds assume. bad. I don't mean he's marginally successful. He's enormously <laughs> successful, but uh, um, I'm just going to try to have lunch with him. That's I, all. I mean, he's not making Stephen King money. Well, who is really? Come on. <laughs> But uh, anyways, uh, I'd like to talk about his book, so you should start listening to that. And um, we'll probably do some, you know, Walking Dead news and things like that over the next uh, little while. And since the show doesn't come back until the end of February, which is a bit later than usual, um, I say we try to squeeze in an actor spotlight or something like that if we can. Who you want to do? You want to do Stephen Ogg? Well, uh, kind of, but I don't know yet. I haven't really made the list. <laughs> all right. <laughs> but that probably means playing all of Grand Theft Auto again. So you up for that? Oh, I have to find my Xbox. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well. I have it somewhere. It's on a shelf, I think. I don't know. We'll have to maybe watch a lot of uh, Grand Theft Auto YouTube clips with oh, uh, with 
Trevor. It just That would just make me want to play it. I know. That's true. That's true. Anyways, those are the way to contact us. Those are all the ways to contact us. And of course, visit the website and click on send voicemail if you'd like to uh, send an audio message in. So thank you so much, everyone. This has been a long one. Uh, but until next time, my name is Chris. My name is Jason. Thanks for listening. Ciao.